All right, we are all the way live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I'm your host, Lev Polyakov, and we are here to talk about Carl Jung, specifically talking about Aeon, the Antichrist, what exactly we're going to be in for with modernity. And we have three complete giants in their own way. We have Gnostic Informant. You guys know him, love him. He is such an expert when it comes to ancient history, philosophy, things of that nature. Steph Uberboyo, a master when it comes to modern philosophy. Carl Jung, Nietzsche, of course. And uh, he is the embodiment of today's Ubermensch. Every time I see him, it makes me want to go work out. In fact, I was uh, lifting right before the stream started. And let's we go. have Uber Let's go. Well, this is why I'm drinking the raw milk over here, courtesy oh my of Meekox Bay post, Dairy. Post drink right there? Yeah. Well, we're going to hold Lev down, man. He's going to start fucking levitating. Uh, and Levitate. we have... And we have, I'm working on the Gundalini. And we have Ben <laughs> Avery, the great and powerful Ben Avery of Lemon Party. Hello. The cornerstone, the cornerstone of all uh, young discussions. He is, uh, you guys know him. I mean, come on, you guys know him first from the Tim Dillon show. And you guys know him from Lemon Party. Amazing sketches. I always love to see the soy facing in the be beginning of the stream that One Ben does. One of my does. personas, yes. The best, and, laugh, the yeah. best laugh in the game. Best and this is, kind of, this is kind of what I want to start with talking about. But before that, make sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, click the bell. The bell is extremely important. And sneed those super chats because we are going to be doing super chats at the end. And the super chats are all because I want to do a live Break the Rules event in the summertime. I've already scouted a location. It's definitely going to be happening. Um and I want you guys to go there. So we got to raise funds for the live BTR event. Anyway, the soy face. I consider that to be kind of a symbol of the modernity that we're in right now. And I'm actually going to start with Ben and then go to Steph. Ben, why did Starting you choose? With me? What yes. Why did you choose to do the soy face? What was the inspiration for you out of all the memes out there to go with the soy face? It's it's funny because it's like. Everybody that I hate on the internet is constantly making that face at every photo they do, right? And so I guess it's funny for me to just go, "Oh, look, look, I'm doing the thing of the uh, that the guy does that sucks ass. I'm making the, the I'm making Josh Gad face." <laughs> and to me, it's not even yeah. when I think of soy face, I think of all of their faces contorted into this awful position. All the the Chuck Wendigs, the Lin Manuel Mirandas, the all those people that are in, you know, they're writing Star Wars books. They're in Amex commercials. They're the fucking enemy, right? And then they, and then they just make these, these soy faces constantly, and it's it's very disingenuous too. I, I really I really hate it. It really makes me sick to my stomach, and uh, I got obsessed with it so much. I guess I just started doing it, and now I'm the guy that does soy faces. It's like you so, look into the abyss. Yeah, but where you've men who yes. fight monsters. Individuation. Okay. That sounds like individuation right there. there Uber we go. Boyo, what do you make of the soy face and can we relate this to Carl Jung? Yeah, I guess you could call it a... I, do you know who you need for this is a meme analysis. He's fantastic at this stuff. So you see this um, archetypal phenomenon show up and is it betraying some type of shared consciousness that goes among the last man the bug man the, the pod man that could be it something something along those lines if you want me to wax a pontificate a wax poetic on that that could be it well we have somebody like uh young who from what i understand 
predicted World War One. He was on the train. Mm -hmm. He was seeing the bloodshed uh, while looking at these nice, peaceful, gentle farmlands. But as far as predicting what's going on right now, what's going on with the state of modernity, we have the soy facing at the same time. We also have all of these edgy uh, Hitler memes coming to the fore from a lot of these uh, Zoomers that are dissatisfied. Do you think that this means that we are going to have a clash of these kind of energies, of the soy facing energy and at the same time of this much rougher uh, edgier energy that we are sensing that is I'd say a lot in the communities that we happen to frequent right now so Steph what say you and then I would love to hear from uh, you guys as well well insofar as the soy face represents a, a human uh, stereotype human typical type um, I think it's much more appropriate to look at it from the Nietzschean lens because what did Nietzsche say he was saying like alright we're coming into this era where comfort is going to make us small, make us petty, make us weak. Comfort is going to distort us into these um, last men, as he would say. And um, the tyranny of the last men will be the worst thing you've ever seen. The tyranny of the last man will be a shocking thing because they will impose mediocrity upon you. You will no longer be able to be strong and healthy. They will take that from you. You must be like them. You must be a McDonald's man like everyone else. And so... Um, what you saw, for example, in 2020, we could say, was the, the first real glimpse of the, the tyranny of the last man, the tyranny of the soy face man, where you're, you know, they, they scream about Star Wars as they hold you down and, and attack you and try to jab things inside of you. And I think that is what you're seeing rising up. And, and maybe the, the thing with the Zoomers, you know, the, the extremist Zoomers is that they're more of a representation of reaction, like they're reactionary force. And reaction is quite a logical thing to come it doesn't necessarily mean it's right it can often be very impulsive and foolish but um nonetheless it's it's consequential towards the soy face the soy face are driving the the arc of history and i guess uh one of nietzsche's assertions is that look we don't want to be reactionaries against these things headless chickens shall we say we want to be grabbing reality by our own two hands and saying to ourselves what do we want to assert he was of course banging on about the ubermensch and stuff like this but he was talking in that direction so um i, I understand the zoomers i understand where they're coming from but i don't think uh, i don't a lot of them like a lot of them are very unhealthy in their own way and they uh they're having yeah they have their own issues too as well this can also be related to young in the sense of young talking about evil where you were talking before about the swastika as this symbol of evil, but also being like the symbol of energy. And do you think that right now, and I want to go to Gnostic for this one right now, do you think that right now what we're seeing as far as these reactions to modernity, it's going to manifest in similar kinds of evil that we've seen before throughout uh, history, but specifically throughout uh, our modern history, as far as what technology and all of these dissatisfied people ends up uh, creating. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like a cyclical thing. These type of things just happen naturally over time. It's like cycles. I think whatever you, you can you can look at the past and like you can see things starting starting to happen in, in a similar way, just in a modern way. Like, like, does that make sense? Like it, the past sort of repeats itself. Like there's really nothing new happening. This is all stuff that's been done, happened before. It's just happening now in a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, Ben, would you uh, concur? Yeah, I would. I'll go. Uh, I mean, you want me to recite the speech from True Detective and start drinking again? I'll do it. I'll start cutting up cans with a pocket knife. But yeah. were, you, were you talking about you relating it to Hitler, right? Yeah. 
Well, well, I'm relating I, it to evil. I'm relating it well, to I, the idea that well, we, there's all this evil that's within us, which is what Jung was talking about. Well, that's what's funny is I was just um, just this morning I was listening to an interview uh, with Carl Jung on YouTube and highlighting stuff from my book and just trying to, you know, kind of cram before this because I didn't finish Ion completely, but I almost did. And I have read Memories, Dreams and Reflection. And I've listened to like 25 lectures from Uber Boyo. So I'm qualified nice. here nice. to talk about this stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, he was saying Hitler was, I didn't realize this, he was presented as this uh, savior, actually, for Germany. He was this uh, presented as this like Jesus Christ type of figure. And uh, the, the whole thing sort of got flipped on its head, which is very, it's very interesting. Uh, by the way, I went to an estate sale the other day because a guy goes, you got to come to this estate sale because they have all these books. And because uh, I was at an estate sale and they didn't have any books there. Right. So uh, next week I go to the estate sale, I drive all the way across town. I go in. This guy has 2000 books. I'm not kidding you. Almost all of them are about Adolf Hitler. Wow. I don't know what it is that man represents to people and the obsession that uh, people have with him that are, you know, unless the guy was just a neo-Nazi, in which case it's, it's somewhat simple. But I like to think that, it, you know, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, sophisticated than that. You know, I mean, him being, I mean, it was Hitler this coin that was like presented as a savior and then it was just flipped. And then he's the so he's the total psyche, right? He's the he's the Christ and the Antichrist. He's he's both people. He just got flipped. Yeah. You so, know, one yeah. thing I want to say real quick, I noticed about when because a lot a lot of stuff that young presents well, number one, he's a student of Freud, so he he gets that um, he gets all his like professional psychology stuff from there. But he's also a huge Nietzsche fan, and he 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 even he's the one who coins the terms introvert and extrovert. Actually, are invented by Carl Jung, by the way. Mm -hmm. Carl mm -hmm. Jung invented those terms. He actually got those by taking on the Apollonian Dionysian duality that Nietzsche brought brought to us, but. So and, and and the reason why I'm saying this is because I think Young saw everything in like this dual duality of like he can see this two sides of everything. Like even in the most evil thing in the world, he can see the good in it. And he's kind of an opposite of Nietzsche, where Nietzsche was the best at criticizing anything. Like he was like the Tupac of philosophy, just mm -hmm. dissing everybody left and right, making fun of everybody, just <laughs> destroying people, like completely just like wrecking everybody yeah and but young on the is exact opposite of that young saw greatness in almost everything even nazis like and he got criticized for that he got called nazi sympathizer all that but i just think that's how young kind of was he just has this weird way of looking at yeah things. he was twisted he, he yeah. really was twisted like that uh -huh. he had extramarital affairs all the time dude was horny as hell and this may be also cool. why somebody like Freud decided to go the other way and uh, stop having sex with his poor wife. Yeah, and go out in the woods and build a build a little hut that resembles his mind and his consciousness. Each room is like one's his ego, one's his persona, one's his self. And he just wanders around in the woods and claims he's talking with ghosts. That part, mm -hmm. I, that part of the book, I didn't know he like. You know, he's trying to I, I for a second, I thought he was just insane. But then I realized he's trying to explore the limitations of this new thing he stumbled across. And he didn't know where it where it could end with his knowledge yeah. of the unconscious. So and he, another thing a young is criticized for is what he would he would listen to patients in mental institutions 
and people who had like severe schizophrenia. Yeah, he, he would listen to them as if they were prophets, like giving prophecies. He would pay attention to what they're saying, and all all of his coworkers He's, like, dude, dude, that dude's nuts. Stop listening to him. And Young's like writing down what they're saying and like taking notes and shit. Like he was taking it seriously. Based. Let's go. <laughs> pretty crazy. It's pretty interesting. You can't. I can't lie. It's, all right. He wasn't dismissive of anyone. It was a beautiful. Yeah. Right, Neil. Where's where are these notes? We need to we need to get access to these notes. Oh, well, you know what? The red book. Imagine if it was just all soy jack faces the whole way down. <laughs> it's like the prophecy of the coming of the soy jack. No, I have another book by Young where he's talking about the. Uh, it's mostly about the anima and the animus, and uh, he's talking about he's writing down notes from this crazy person saying they were shouting and saying, "Can you see the sun's penis?" Right, and that, and then he related it to something in mythology where. Uh, something from I don't know something from long ago about a penis in the sun. That, that's that's he he uh, predicted sun in your balls. There you go. Yeah. Well, the su- the sun in the way it is kind of like a penis because when the penis comes, it's like the sun is constantly exploding. The sun is constantly coming. This is why Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was talking about oh. pumping out when working out, it is like it's like coming. I'm coming all the time. <laughs> you know, it's this it's this masculine expression of like all of this stored energy that you can siphon into you and you could either coom or you could siphon it into uh, something uh, of a higher nature. And mm-hmm. that's what a lot of these mystics are onto when they talk about sublimating sexual energy, you yeah. know, not just to be like some boring, I don't know, librarian or something, but to actually utilize that kundalini energy going through your chakras and end up having insight into whatever happens uh, beyond our recognition. But yeah. the interesting thing is that I don't recall where – oh, it was actually on Discord, by the way, guys. Go to the Break the Rules Discord right now. I'm going to post a link. But on the Break the Rules Discord, one of the members posted this guy who was talking about how the Buddhist path is very different from the Kundalini path, where for the Buddhist, the idea is to cease existing. But for those who are like tantric Hindu yogis, it's the opposite. Their whole point is to create the Urumensh from within, to channel all that sexual energy, to unleash the Kundalini, which is like this snake that's coiled three and a half times in your root chakra. And once it's uncoiled, you just have like all of this energy and connection with the universe where the idea is like you become an antenna. And in a way, if you think about it, we are kind of like antennas, like our head is like this round thing on a pole like our body's the pole and our head is the uh you know is the round thing of the pole and we're supposed to get you know our brain gets all these signals from the universe but anyway relating it back to adolf hitler for a second one of the things that i believe (laughs) one of the things that i believe young sounds like a crazy conversation at a bus stop at this point (laughs) (laughs) like why are we not all smoking crack (laughs) (laughs) y'all cowards don't even smoke crack so okay i'm not saying no like you know we we can (laughs) can go down that route if we want source cited yeah so when when it comes to when it comes to germany at that time i believe he was talking about how it was possessed by the spirit of wotan and that goes to what young was talking about in relation to how all the thoughts that we have all of our actions they're not as much us as it is us as the human antennas channeling certain entities channeling certain gods uh steph uh, what say you yeah so on the hitler question um 
with Jung, first of all, he was describing him as a savior because he was a savior for the German people. I don't think people are unaware of this. Like he was representing in some sense their capacity to assert their will upon the world. And mm. um, Jung stating that doesn't necessarily mean that he was value judging it as positive. Like he thought that it was very impulsive and dangerous. He considered it the, a possession by Wodan and he doesn't consider Wodan a trustworthy god. Wodan is in fact a trickster is the way that he sees him. If you want a, an analogy for this, ironically, you can find it in the Jews. So Jesus Christ comes down as a represent as the avatar of the, the true God and the Jews kill him. They're like, get the fuck, get, get rid of that motherfucker. What are you talking about? You, you get, get out of here, get on that cross. Romans kill him. And so they kill him and they say, he's the wrong Messiah. He's not the Messiah we want. And instead, Bar Kokhva comes later. And Bar Kokhva is a sort of like Hitler figure in a weird way, where he's like, we will rile, we will rile you up and we will free you from the Romans. We'll free you from the tyranny of the Romans. And uh, Bar Kokhva riles them all up and he goes and he, he has a big fight and that pisses the Romans off. And so the Ro Romans conduct the annihilation of Judea and send them and turn them into the wandering people for basically the rest of their existence up until the creation of the state of Israel at the end of World War II. Quite an interesting historical narrative there. Um, so Hitler was very much the same in some sense. Like he was um, a genuine representation of this deep spiritual angst, this deep desire of the German people to see themselves asserted. There's many, there's many reasons. Like in many of their grievances were absolutely correct. You had the exploitation of the Germans after um, Versailles. You had uh, the printing of the money and the inflation that was done to them. There was sexual deviancy. There's even like, you know, I can understand them getting upset with Judaism because like Magnus Hirschfeld was the guy who started to do transsexual surgeries and he was he was jewish and they were going through weimar and seeing all these prostitutes and they were like what the fuck are these people doing to our country but at the same time young was pointing out that like all that energy all that angst got channeled into um in a very impulsive way into a man who was promising them the world and it's like can 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 he really deliver you know that's a really big fucking question like a dude promising the world you got to be careful about that stuff. went with him they were, they were like hail hitler mind fruer and they, they treated him like a god king, and he basically led them into absolute ruin. And by the end of that war, they were shorn, torn in half, destroyed. Their, their destiny was essentially spent at that point, and they're barely they haven't even recovered from it today, you know. And it's a great tragedy, in fact, in, in Jung's head, because Nietzsche was the, very much the same. Nietzsche talked about this in Beyond Good and Evil, where he said that um, the, the values that the Germans need could actually be found in their two enemies, the Jews and the Russians, because the Jews and the Russians are patient, whereas the, the Germans are very impulsive and masculine, but they, they lack that patience, and that patience would be very valuable. And if they're not careful, they'll spend themselves. And of course, they actually did spend themselves, which is quite poor. Um, so that's on that side, like the kind of comments about the savior and all these, and, and Lev is correct, the the, the Wodan being channeled through them. That's really like, you know, the German super soul, the German super spirit being expressed this way. That's really kind of the take that, that he was presenting as far as I understand. And I think it's, I think it's a very interesting one at the time because Jung was not against the German people doing well and asserting themselves in the world, but it's like, it's like dealing with a nuke, you know, you're holding this thing that's vibrating and it could blow off and kill everyone, or it could, it could be turned into nuclear fusion and free everyone. And he was like, the Germans have the potential to do either of these things. I hope the fucking God, we have the prudence to make the most out of our, our potential. Nietzsche said the same and Nietzsche was talking about the same. And in some sense, they, they might've fumbled the ball. And um, that's, uh, I think the way Jung was looking at it, he was, he was upset about how it turned out and he felt the, they got, they got overwhelmed by a sort of, um, it's sort of like uh, impulsive energy and it, it left them in, in, in ruin in the end. In terms of why we always talk about Hitler, like that could also be something we can get into if you wish. That's, uh, you know, Jungian collective unconscious stuff as well, but I'll, I'll pass it on to someone else well, for now. Have you, by the way, have you guys seen that meme of the 12-year-old's uh, drawing of a smug Hitler? I don't know if you guys know what no, I'm talking you, about. Yeah, I have. have. 
there was this uh, Zoomer, 12-year-old Massachusetts boy, who was facing a misdemeanor charge of alleged criminal harassment for giving a Jewish teacher uh, an anti-Semitic note that said, among other things, I don't appreciate you, and the drawing of Hitler following a pattern of growing anti-Semitism from the boy, uh, including an incident uh, in April, student made hateful comments to the teacher wearing a kippah during Passover. Mm -hmm. uh, so now this smug Hitler, and I could uh, send you guys a link to the meme just so you guys can uh, see what I'm talking about. Uh, the handwriting, by the way, is completely atrocious. Like, I'm not understanding how it is that a 12, like, five-year-old, I understand. But how a 12-year-old would do this kind of handwriting, you know, I, anyway. Be besides that, though, that meme has recently taken off on 4chan. Everybody's posting, like, this smug-looking uh, Hitler uh, thing. And I think the reason why Hitler is such a recognizable symbol, first of all, he's incredibly easy to draw. All you need is, like, a human face and, like, a little mustache, and that's it. You're, you're done. You don't need anything else, and people instantly know what that is. So as a brand symbol, I'd say it's, like, right next to McDonald's or something, you know, like the arches. Yeah. It's, like, something super easy for people to understand. At the same time, there's always been, like, I talked about this with uh, Jason Researcher Johnny, who I definitely want to get on with. Uh, I know Gnostic's been with him uh, for several episodes. I really want to get uh, Steph and maybe even uh, Ben, if you're interested, to talk with Jason. But anyway, Jason talked about how Hitler always had, like, this clown-like uh, thing about him, where, in a he way... He Yeah, exactly. His favorite uh, show. Just like the over the topness of how he acted, uh -huh. it's not like this statesman like Winston Churchill or something who also had a bit of a um, you know stereotype about him, you know, like with the cigar and all that. But and specifically, though, Hitler, because he was so over the top in how he communicated, this is something very, very easy for people to understand. It's like having a graphic design symbol that people are looking at. Same thing with, you know, like the Heil Hitler stuff and all that. So, and swastika as well, you know, super easy symbol to understand. So, I think that memes are going to be our future in the sense that, you know, they've always been, but particularly now with the internet, people are going to be grabbing onto certain things. And this may be why, for example, with Pride Month, you have all these multicolored flags and people are instantly able to connect with, this is who I am now. I am, you know, this, uh, like the gay flag or I'm the, you know, whatever flag. Mm -hmm. And from that, I think that people are reducing their capacity to be a conscious person when you start getting ruled by all these symbols as opposed to going above the symbols. And I wonder if this could be related to Carl Jung as well when we're talking about the process of individuation, when it comes to the process of understanding that there are all these things that affect you and possibly going beyond them. So I don't know who wants to take this. Neil, uh, Steph? Yeah, real quick, I just want to, because yeah. I want to touch on the Wotan thing, the, the yes. Otis thing, because the theology that God, the name Wotan, means like divine frenzy, inspiration, madness, sort of like a Bacchic frenzy, if you will. And uh, Young comparing him being possessed by Wotan, because when he would speak, it was like he was being taken over by some other force that wasn't even him. So that's probably what what we're seeing with that comparison by Young, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's. I just want to say that real quick. 
Wotan. To add to that as well, because it's a very, very cool point um, to think about what Wotan's goal is. Like, Wotan's goal is that he needs to fight the the god of death, uh, the Fenrir the wolf, at the end of time. And so what Wotan needs to do is get this army of super warriors. And he needs to store this army of super warriors in Valhalla. And the way he gets this army of super warriors is he needs to go to battlefields and he, he needs to see. It's like sports. He needs to see these men fight. And then he sees the bravest people and he sends his Valkyries down to lift them up and bring them to Valhalla, where he stores them to fight at the end of time, which actually he inevitably Rag is going to lose. Ragnarok. 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 Yeah. The fall of the gods. Now, What's interesting is that, as Jung pointed out, that frenzy is fundamentally tied to that because Woden stirs that frenzy. He's a trickster. So he stirs that frenzy in people so he can set off wars because the wars is how he discovers which gods are, are which men are capable of going to Valhalla. That doesn't mean his, his wars are good. He actually just is, he's almost like a warmonger who just wants wars in order to be able to find the super warriors that he needs. And so Wodan was sort of pointing out that this whole war happening in Germany is like he's, he's riling them up so he can set them off to go for this crazy fight. So that it, like Wodan himself can harvest off the super warriors for, for the battle at the end of time type thing. He's tricking them into going into their war for his own ends. And his own ends are sort of this nihilistic, psychotic, violent super fight. So Wodan's frenzy is a very like, sort of dangerous thing that people romanticize without understanding what it actually means. And, and, and he was... I was going to say, and check this to Nietzsche because Nietzsche would, would, would constantly talk about how the German people are the Hyperboreans. He said, we are, we're, we're Hyperboreans. We're different. You know, the Greeks, Pindar, Herodotus, they wrote about us and they called us the people in the north, the great Hyperborean, the holy race. And so you had this idea of German people sort of taking that on is like some sort of thing to be like a badge to wear the hyperboreans you know so you wotan being the god of the of the norse mythology the the all father who brings about ragnarok all that stuff's right right there and they're just applying these archetypes to, 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 to that time period there was um, a very interesting quote from i can't remember who it was it was some poet of some sort. And he actually talked to quite a lot of different like um, nations at the time. And he said that like he spoke to the Russians and they said that they were fighting for communism. And they spoke to the Italians and they were fighting for fascism. He spoke to the English, they were fighting for liberalism. The French, the same thing. But he said that the Germans all said that they're fighting just so they could fight. They're fighting for the sake of glorious war, something like this. And he said he could never understand their answer. And I've always thought about that in relation to this, this idea of like Wodan, the, the god of war, the god of uh, stirring people up so we can harvest them for, for the war at the end of time type thing. Another thing, Lev, by the way, if you go into Twitter and check your DMs, I sent you a picture. And this is, a, this is so interesting. I sent you a picture um, that if you could pull up on screen, it'd be absolutely fantastic because you can look at that picture and tell me who, who you think it looks like. This picture was painted the year Adolf Hitler was born, and the name of the picture is Wodan, the, or the Great Hunt, and the subject of the picture is Wodan, Wodan the God, who is stirring this Great Hunt that he can um, that he can pull, and you know basically this is what Wodan does. He goes on these big hunts to try to find the, his warriors and things like this. He's the God of the Storms, as they say. And if you look at this picture, obviously it has a likeness to, to Hitler himself. And um, a lot of people started to see things like this. There's another, another painting that I can't find right now that had this surreal likeness to him that was painted when he was a very young boy, like but long before he had a mustache. And um, loads of people look at this stuff and say, like, this is fucking eerie. This is like this Jungian symbolism seemed to be kicking into gear, pr predicting things that were coming down the line. So, um, What year maybe is this painting from? I can't remember exactly, but I think it's the year of his birth, so like 1898 or something. I've sent it to Damn. you in the DM. 
Yeah, I just posted it on the stream so the people can uh, look at it. But that is, uh, that is very fascinating. When it comes to Wotan, who are the gods that are the closest to Wotan as far as uh, Greek mythology, Roman Bacchus. mythology? Bacchus. Or Hades. Because they bo both of them are, they are the divine inspirers. So Bacchus will, will take over your body. He will inspire you. He will give you that frenzy. Wotan has that same aspect. But Julius Caesar, by the way, who wrote his entire, he had the, all the text that he left behind, he spent a whole decade in Gaul and Germany, the Germans and fighting the, 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 uh, the Gauls. And he said that they're all sons of Dispater, the Roman, Roman god Dis. He said, everybody up here, they're all sons of Dis. So uh, later on, like a century after that, you have this writer named Tacitus who takes what Caesar says and says, yeah, their, their main god, which is Woden, is this Mercury god. It's like this other different kind of version of Mercury or, or Hermes, but he's like a king instead of being the messenger, which Hermes is. So you have this like this blend basically of Bacchus the Inspirer, also King of the Gods, which is Dispater, Jupiter, and Hermes, as in like this divine logos. That's by the way, logos, everyone thinks of Jesus right away because of the book of John. In the beginning was the logos. That actually goes back to Plato and um Parmenides. Those guys were talking about. Hermes was the logos. Hermes was the word before mm -hmm. Jesus was. So uh, Wotan has like all three of those rolled in. He's like a trinity almost. He's like all three of those rolled into one. Very interesting character. Wow. I don't even know wow. where to go from there because. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't know, Ben, what do you make of this whole, and we are going to get to individuation later on, but now I'm just fascinated the, by the whole um, possession of the gods thing. Like, do you ever feel being possessed by certain gods? Well, yeah, so that's what's interesting is young and guys, b both of you correct me. All three of you correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just a student of this stuff. I don't know almost all the stuff you guys are talking about. All right. Shoot, the, shoot from the hip, bro. It's all good. Shoot from the hip. We stray off from young and all that stuff. And you guys start like I can keep up. I know Hermes and Mercurius. They're kind of interchangeable as the same guy going back and forth from the unconscious mind, carrying the dreams and the messages and and all that good stuff like i can keep up with that but when you guys start talking about other stuff i i'm i'm learning i'm learning i'll get there i'm catching up with the train but the, uh like you said lev uh or you didn't say but uh, in response to your thing uh there's things at work in your unconscious mind that you don't know are at work when you talk about being because that wasn't your question to me are you do you feel like you ever possessed by god yeah yeah there's things What's interesting is, um, did you read Corn McCarthy's latest two books, uh, uh, The Passenger and Stella Morris? They're not very good. And uh, um, actually, I'm pretty sure Cormac read this book. There's, there's a great deal of stuff about the star of the sea in this, which is a symbol for the woman in that book. But I'm not going to bore people with that. And I'm literally, the, uh, the book is called Stella Morris. So, you know, you got it right there. But... Uh, um, shit, I lost my train of thought. Uh, no problem. Yeah, possession of the gods. Like yeah, yeah. You feel so, being possessed. So yeah, even in that book, uh, so she's a brilliant physicist and her intellect frightens people. She's a great uh, mathematician. And uh, she talks about in the book, and apparently this is a real thing, that 
ma uh, math, uh, 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 people that study math and physics, they often are confronted with very difficult problems that they can't overcome. And then all of a sudden, for no reason at all, the solution to the problem comes to them like that. And they don't know why. Wow. And that, that points toward the idea that your unconscious mind is far more sophisticated than your conscious mind. And it was solving something for you. And then all of a sudden bringing it to you. I'll give you an example of something this morning, just from reading um, ions and things like that. Uh, all of a sudden I just, I was walking from the kitchen to get another cup of coffee. Cause I was highlighting stuff from Aeon to, to talk about. And all of a sudden it hit me. I go jaws is a metaphor for the story of Christ. It just it hit me all of a sudden. That's it. That's the. That's it. Exactly. It's, it's him out. on the cross at the end. He's as the master. He's on the cross. He is being sent from into the unconscious to draw out of the deep. Right. He's supposed to be the savior of that town. He's cast out, and he takes with him the id and the super ego, and he goes out into the unconscious mind, and he draws from the deep the leviathan, and it says in Aeon that the 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 uh, the hook is the cross, the bait was Christ, and from the deep it draws out the Leviathan. This is the story of Jaws. This is the story of Christ, right? And uh, there's even a, a quote from uh, there's a quote from uh, uh, Court McCarthy in The Crossing. All stories are one. Rightly seen, all stories are one. So it's just very interesting how things like that can all of a sudden hit you, even though I wasn't thinking about that. But Jaws is a precious story to me. I've been obsessed with sharks since I was three, begging my mother to take me to the library and thinking about the movie Jaws all the time. I was raised very conservative Christian, church three times a week. I don't I didn't know why to this day I was obsessed with that story. And it just everything just sort of hit me at once. So those things unconsciously working within you and then just all of a sudden just bursting out, not being unconscious anymore and actually uh Coming and, that, mind. and that's what I think happened with Christ, with Christianity, with the Gospels. There, uh, these Gospels are the what I think happened, and why these th why these books became so central to everything was that they hit that that sweet spot of archetypes. Like the the story of Christ can be, you can see it in any story. You can you can map on Christianity to almost any story. You have the he hero's journey process. You know, the character rises, falls, and then ascends, and then it's deified. You can almost apply that map onto almost any good story. And um, and, and like young, you were like Carl Jung, he he wrote the book Man and Symbols. In that book, he talks about how people's dreams are he thinks he he says this in the book too. He thinks that people's dreams are coming from some sort of un, our collective unconscious realm that we that we can't see, but like it's there somewhere. People can have dreams and like predict their own. He said he had a, he had a, 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 a um, somebody he was treating who kept having dreams of falling off of a cliff. This person ended up dying when they went hiking, fell off. Yeah, of a yeah. Cliff. yeah. Pre picked his own death. And young was the only person that knew that was about this. Hmm. So it's like, you take his word for it or not. I, 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 I another story about a woman who was afraid of uh, dying in a skiing accident and she yep. was going skiing in six weeks. And then the same thing happened. Yep. And then you think of Camus saying the most tragic way to die would be in a car accident. And then that's how he goes out in his forties. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's like things just coming to you. In fact, he had uh, Wolfgang Pauli was a um, he was a Nobel Prize theoretical physicist who was from the school of Albert Einstein. Genius. And he was having real bad depression. And this is in the 1930s. And he goes goes to Bavaria in the mountains and meets up with Carl Jung. And Carl Jung immediately implements I Ching divination on him, pulling out like tarot, Chinese tarot cards. And he's like, what the hell? Like Carl Jung thought that there was something more important um, behind chance and like divination and like the idea that like like you just mentioned like thoughts coming to you from somewhere else mm. he was real serious about this this wasn't just like just being a, like you, you, some people might say that's crazy but like this is like this is the person who gives us modern psychology mm-hmm. like whether you like it or not it, it, it's it's a fact you know yeah and that's why definitely works that that's why Campbell like and I really I I learned about Young just through Campbell because I read uh, Primitive Mythologies Volume One by Campbell and I thought that thing was brilliant and there's like five more and he worked on them for like forty years it's basically his life's work right but he I think he says in that book about maybe it wasn't in that book about how uh, his students come to him they go what's the one piece of advice that you can give me and he he says uh, follow your bliss you know basically go where the sun is shining and i think basically what he's saying is he's he's saying you know uh you know mercurius is coming down and highlighting certain things for you and and making them interesting to you and you don't know why but you have to keep following those things you have to keep going so for whatever i don't know why i'm really interested in hummingbirds right now i don't know why i just am i don't know uh why i'm obsessed with um right now i'm diving uh, deep into young I don't know why I am. And I'll, uh, in, in three months, I might be reading all the Greek tragedies. Uh, right, right. I, I move pretty quickly from thing to thing, but it's important to, uh, to uh, I mean, without Hermes, without Mercurius, without, uh, uh, you, you know, Mercury, what is it? It, 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 uh, it? When left to its own devices, doesn't Mercury just draw all the gold? It yep. pulls all the gold from raw elements. You got to let that do its thing. You got to let that do its thing because it's going to bring all these images and all these ideas to you, and you don't even know how it works. It goes beyond sense. So, yeah, that's kind of my whole uh, belief on the artistic process. By the way, exactly uh, when it comes to writing and everything is without that, you're toast. Because, I mean, we're very dumb. We're not intelligent at all. And if you listen to the unconscious mind, that that's the thing that's actually that's where all the intelligence is stored. And you do, you can't understand it, and the best stuff comes when you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I agree. In a way, it's kind of like the uh, third eye, and I wonder if that can also be connected to Mercurius as this shining light of the third eye that people end up experiencing, where in their dreams that third eye acts as a gateway into other dimensions, like into other worlds that they can uh, explore. And it is also linked, by the way, to meditation and brainwaves, where you would go from like a really low frequency brainwave state like a delta into gamma. But you wouldn't be able to do that if you were in like the regular awakened brain state. Like you actually have to relax and focus 
and not allow things that are around you to distract you and then you end up having the aha moment but now like we have all of these different things in our screen this is why by the way i followed the advice of meme analysis and got rid of all the colors on my phone it's all black and white now because when you think about it like all these colors including the ones behind you ben they all generate something within us some kind of a feeling motion uh -huh. passion you know, this is why, again, like with uh, Nazi Germany, for instance, they had like the black and the red, you know, like red for the blood and black for, I don't know, like death, I guess. I don't know. Like, Steph, what would be the black for? Like black, white and red. That was the old German flag. That's it's not people project so much nonsense onto the Nazis. Like, no, it wasn't about blood and death. It was no. That was the, if you look at the old German regime, the Prussian regime, they used to have black, white and red. It's, it's quite a common color. You see it an awful lot. The white stripes, for example, use the same color. He's a very powerful set of colors. You see it an awful lot. You know, Plato. Plato was asked. Actually, here's well, I, oh, one on. one thing real quick. Yeah, I wouldn't on, say I wouldn't say I would discount black being death uh, before uh, Nazis as well. Because when you think about the uh, outfits, that there was this nice photo of this woman who was wearing the skull and bones on her woolly hat and she was like one of the hussars, like one of the riders there, like the special forces, I think, of the uh, Prussian army. So that's been around way longer before uh, before the Nazis. Wow. I just know that it was the, the state flag. For example, those they're, they're called power colors. Those three colors show up all the time. I remember I took a very heavy psychedelic trip once, and um, the, the floor started to morph, and these snakes appeared. And the snakes were black, wet, red, and white in their colors and shapes. Right <laughs> I got That's that. That's right. Yeah, I, did, I, just, I didn't even plan that. It just happened in black, red, and white right now. No, but um, Steph, I don't know if you were kept. You kind of uh, lost service for a second. I don't know if you're back or not. But while you're, uh, I was just gonna say, Plato was talking about divine inspiration way before. And he started getting at the same thing Young's getting at, where he's he through the through the character of Socrates. He's talking. He's having a debate about like, are the gods real? Are they literally real or are they just like myths that we just fit, like decide that uh, give us like, you know, moral values and stuff? And he said, well, they actually are real in the sense that when the divine, when the poet gets their divine inspiration and they write about the gods, that is what's real. So they, there is a real sense of like divine inspiration happening through the poet. And then they relay, they relay the story about. I don't know, Venus and, and, and Eros story, whatever. And the people hear the story and they get inspired by the story and they feel a connection. There's that divine inspiration. So he said through the poets, the gods are real. They're just not like, they're not like physically in front of you. Touch You can like touch them like they're like flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, and in a way that he's basically getting at what archetypes are too, if you think about it. So, the, the, uh, and does Young take that even kind of literally where Young says, the inner world and the outer world they're uh he says fantasy is fact right yeah so but he, he but he, he didn't admit the it. inner world and then in the outside world they're the, it's they're both legitimate they're both what's the he's like what's the difference pretty much right I, well i don't think he was able to state it like that while he still had a career that's the thing like at that time, if you were to literally come out and say that that magical world is just as real as this one, they would look at you funny. Like, I don't I think, think they already were looking at. Yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. Young was criticized like crazy by his peers. Mm. And he, he really stuck out for Freud at all, saying anything he said was legitimate by 
And he kind of did Freud a solid there before he died, saying, like, I'll stand with you and then uh, be called a... He was basically called, like, can I say retard on this stream? Sure. Yeah, he was called, like, a retard. Yeah. But then when it comes to something like Red Book, for instance, Young did not want that to be published while he was alive. So he was still hiding certain things. It's not sure. like he wanted to reveal everything that was going on. So I know, Steph, like, what is it you think about the Red Book in particular that was worth of uh, hiding when it comes to uh, when it comes to Young? There we are. There it is. You see, it was actually the Could black you repeat book. that again? Sure. What was the significance of the Red Book? Why did Young want to hide that Red Book? Why did he not want this to be uh, published? Yeah, it's a very interesting question, but I think it comes down to just legitimacy and the anxiety about getting called a kook because he was basically saying, I went schizophrenic, you know, when I started to have visions and stuff like this. And that's not going to go down well with a load of Freuds who are, you know, all, you know, got, all got their knickers in a twist about sound and scientific. Because he was acting a little bit schizo and saying that there's like, you know, there's an astral realm and all this. And Freud, I can, I can, I can feel the forces in the room, Freud. And Freud's like, you're a fucking weirdo. Get the fuck out of my office. I'm done with you, you, you dork. And then um, that's keeps a lot of things to himself, too, where like Peterson yeah. won't talk about uh, when uh, Ion fucked him up when he read it. He won't dive into that. Yeah. And he's he hasn't yeah, really yeah. talked about him going into that coma. Like he's not talking about all that stuff. Because he yeah. doesn't want to delegitimize himself, but he probably had crazy visions and fever dreams and, and insane things. And I don't think he came out on the other side of that. Uh, he said, he said, he not said he saw Satan and Jesus fighting. Oh, okay, they, so maybe he is oh, talking. <laughs> they, 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 they got into a, a gridlock. They tied. There were, wasn't like one one or the other loss. Mm -hmm. They're both frozen in time, and then out of that chaos, a Braxis emerged. And then a Braxis is. He said it like this. He said. We call God Helios because if Helios, the sun, is the effect that you know all this. Excuse me, Neil. Is this is this Jordan Peterson or Young? Young. This is from the Red Book. Oh, okay. okay all right. I you're I saying thinking, oh, Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I heard you wrong. I was like Jordan Peterson off the deep end. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Uh, Jordan Peterson right wishes from the Red Book. Actually, he says that a breakfast and the angel, basically of the of a man and God wrestling. That's what he yeah. saw. Yeah, he saw Jesus and God wrestling. Oh, Jesus and God. Holy no, I'm sorry, Jesus and the devil. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, and the devil. Okay. Jesus and the devil wrestling. And from that chaos emerges Abraxas, which is the God with a, with a, a head of a, of a bird, a man's body, Chicken man. a whip, and a shield, and then serpent legs. And this is the effect. This is fullness in effect. You can't stand in opposition of effect. It is the unraveling of reality itself whether you believe in it or not doesn't matter so abraxas is an ancient gnostic um arch archon that it's called the mega archon in greek mega archon and it means like great ruler and so the 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 gnostics depicted this di divinity because the reason why it has the head of a bird the man a man's uh torso and the serpent legs is because it represents air land and water but it also has the if you if, this is going to sound insane just bear with me for a second. So Abraxas has seven letters in Greek. Seven letters mean seven days of the week. It has, um, if you, I don't know if you've heard of Germatria. 
Dermatria is that each letter in Greek, they do it in Hebrew too, but this this, this particular one is, is Greek. Each letter represents a number. If you add up the seven letters of the of the name of Braxis, you get 365 depend, for the whole year. Mm. So it's like a time god. But the reason why it is is because a Braxis represents the reality unfolding. So you you we're in a we are all a part of a Braxis basically. So Young said nothing can stand in opposition of effect. You are part of this divine providence, if you want to call it. You want to call it fate, whatever you want to call it. There's nothing you can stand. You, you can't stop it. It's already happening, and you're just in it. So he brings this Abraxas character out in the Red Book, basically saying at the end of the book too. This is how it ends, but basically saying like, uh, and then he, and then he. It's so crazy. I, actually, I, I could probably pull up the quote where he says he responds to Nietzsche's "God is dead." He says, "God is not dead. God is as alive as ever. God is creation," and and then he gets into the whole Abraxas thing. But it's like a it's a crazy, crazy ending for everything Young did in his career. Like if you think about everything he did in his career and then to end it with that passage, you're just like it gives you goosebumps. It really does. Damn. Ben, I don't know. What do you make of this Abraxas character? Uh, yeah, I mean, so. I mean, much how like, you know, the mercury extracts the gold from the raw element. I feel like with a lot of these things with like young or whoever you kind of dive into their stuff and then you just kind of see you, you kind of extract the liquid gold and then you go on. And then, you know, w- you know, when I read a book uh, that's 300 pages long of a guy, you know, wrestling a God and like <laughs> time is and numbers are flying at him, I go, OK, like I'm not going to delegitimize le- th- that experience, but um, nothing's really uh, nothing's really sticking for me. I, hear I don't think I'll be uh, bringing it up at dinner with my wife anytime soon. Well, what about the uh, later uh, parts of Aeon, including the uh, whole Antichrist thing? Would that be more suitable for a uh, dinner table conversation? How we're uh, entering the age of the Antichrist? Yeah, but then, you know, my wife's eyes would glaze over and she'd go, <laughs> can, we, can we watch the Dodgers? I think they're playing right now. And I go, right. Yeah, sure. Fine. So, you, so you'd say that the uh, Mrs. Avery is more of a down-to-earth person, like she enjoys the simple pleasures yes, of life. She's, because she's, you know, she's far more emotionally intelligent than I, far more. Her, her intelligence when it comes to people and, uh, you know, knowing who she is and, uh, you know, what makes her happy. Not what makes her happy, but it just it's – I said it already. I don't have to keep talking. It's the emotional intelligence. She's so – She's so goddamn smart when it comes to that stuff. It's like, well, she was smart enough to find you. Oh wow, wow, Lev, thank you. Then so- is she in, is she into astrology? All girls love not. astrology. She is not. Oh. All right, because that would be your in. If you ever come across a girl and you're looking at a girl and you're thinking, I need to talk to this girl about Ion. If you're looking at her and saying, I need to drop the heavy Jungian red pills in this girl, astrology always the way in. That's your oh, vessel. Yeah. Otherwise, it- you lose them. Otherwise, you lose them. By the way, uh, this Ion really does. It didn't. It's not giving me. I've had some pretty cool dreams since I've been reading it, but it hasn't caused me like uh, Peterson said to uh, cause endless nightmares or whatever he said about Ion. Uh, But uh, the book has kind of changed my perceptions of a lot of different things. The biggest one he's probably flipped for me is uh, astrological signs and astrology in general, where. And Boyle, I'm going to lift this directly from you because I heard you talk about this as well. 
that, you know, the sailor used to be smoking his pipe and he could look up and uh, look at uh, look at the stars and he could download like you, you had the metaphor like it's like a desktop folder where he could click on it and then all the information would come out of that certain sign and he could see it. And that's how the stories and memes and things like that were were basically shared. Then we're in the stars. And uh, I don't know. I mean, he talks about Nostradamus and it seems like he made a hell of a lot of accurate predictions based on uh the astrological signs so i mean what the hell do i know i got to read this thing a couple more times and and then maybe i'll start There's you know that. having dreams about the devil sucking me off or whatever <laughs> is in the red book let's go let's go um i think this might be an interesting angle of speculation because it is a question of why does jordan peterson find it so intimidating and scary i have my own thoughts on that but maybe maybe we could explore into this if, if there's any thoughts around the the panel i guess have you, by the way, Boyle, have you found him discussing it any further other than just kind of skipping over no, it like that? But I, no, no, I see, I see implicitly him talking about it. Like once I read it properly and I did the close reading with James, mm. I kind of understood what Jordan Peterson was doing almost on a holistic level. I couldn't actually believe it, but his entire project seems like based on Ion. Um, I'll give you the sort of pillars of my thinking here. So first of all, Jung asserts in Ion, um, one of the most hardcore and intense things to think about in that Christ is the seed of the self for the European people. There is no way you can escape from Christ. Christ is the fundamental thing that holds together your soul at your collective conscious level. You deny Christ, you're denying your own soul. And that's a really, really hardcore take. Um, this is in some sense uh, a response against Nietzsche's death of God idea. And so you see us in modern secular society essentially trying to replace Christ. And this actually goes back to why Hitler is such a big deal, because the structure of Christianity was that we had at the center of it the 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 Christ who's the savior. And we had this cross, which is a representation of guilt and evil. Like our evil and our guilt was the fact that we put God himself on the cross and murdered him. And that was the center of our souls. And our collective story was about us overcoming this. And if we if we deny the cross and we deny morality tied to the cross, we go down into hell. And if we embrace the cross, we go up into heaven. You know, this this type of sort of collective structure to how our brains work. And then um, we have denied that we have like the death of God means that has fallen apart for us. And so what has happened is that that archetypal psychological structure must be in place. It's like mathematics. It's there. But the symbols you put in place can be different. So what you see in secular society is this schizophrenia as we try to put something in its place. So, for example, one very common one is that like Hitler's the devil and guilt is the World War Two or or like you see this an awful lot in European people. It's colonialism or the Holocaust or slavery. That's the Christian crucifix. And then heaven is um, repenting for this by getting on your knees and saying that, you know, um, I'm a terrible person. I must relinquish Western society and transform it into this new society based on these new new ideals or something like this now there's other versions of this communism had its version of this and um, like people people have the, all sorts of versions of these things you could say that the wodenism of the germans was their attempt to create a pagan version of uh, to put in this place but jung's point was that that christ is what should sit there because that's the thing that's going to hold you together and trying to go into a new one is like just so fucking dangerous and crazy all sorts of crazy bizarre shit happens as a consequence of this and um, so Peterson understands that first principle. That's principle number one. Now, the second first principle, which is really intense, <laughs> is that um, that is going to have to change on some level because we're getting to the end of the astrological era of Christ. And now the Antichrist is rising. And what's going to happen is there's going to need to be an integration of the two forces. So there actually is going to have to be some type of modulation of that core. 
And in, in order for us to figure out, like, we have to psychologically evolve into that new modulation, as he would say, moving into the age of Aquarius. And that's where things start to get interesting. So not only is Jung saying on one hand, it's dangerous for that to happen, but it's also necessary for that to happen. So the worst thing that you could think of is also the necessary thing that needs to go down. And I'd imagine Jordan Peterson then is sort of seeing this and he's trying to assert a sort of Christian morality. He's trying to say the consciousness Christ brought us and the soul that Christ gave us cannot be. We need to make sure that as we move forward, we do not lose this. And then, of course, he would be very highly critical of ideology. He's always given out about, out about that. And that's what he considers the great demon yeah he's giving yeah. giving on about uh, giving out about that the whole time so but wouldn't um, that I be like a rearranging the seats on the titanic if he already knows that it's futile we're going to go into this age of the antichrist why bother well, think, think of it this way it's like um reactionary binaries or integration so for example if we can go into the future and evolve out of christianity into a sort of new version of christianity or something maybe even beyond christianity that's possible you know, that's actually a natural evolution that that wouldn't even be that crazy. That could even be done successfully. Many animals evolve through success. They don't evolve through like chaos and all this. But what's happening now is that there's this rejection of Christianity causing a, a, a dichotomy, causing a war between the two. The Antichrist and Christ are splitting. And then you have like, I guess we could say simply the woke and you have the conservatives and they're bashing against each other. And that's just another manifestation of this same process building out. And I guess Jordan's trying to say, how do we steer it so that it becomes a an evolutionary logical step instead of this massive clashing of forces that is that is negative in this way and so that's that's how i understand it could be wrong but that's my take well there's there's a strange thing going on with uh, especially watching a lot of uh, neil's uh, videos about uh, the life of jesus and christianity in general where i'm not even though i'm sure there's a lot of christians watching this i'm not able to say that jesus is the son of god despite that there is still such a hold on the world that Jesus has had. So I don't know, Neil, like as somebody who has studied this stuff, what exactly do you make out of it? Can both of these exist at the same time? Like this being the age of Jesus, even though, as you said, that the whole mythology of Jesus, you know, not saying that Jesus did not exist, but the mythology around him was based on things that have come before. So can it be that he is not the son of God, while at the same time, his significance is just as important as if he were the son of God? So the way I would say it like this. So at the time in the first century, if we went back to the first century, it's he's not. There's a lot of people calling themselves son of God. First of all, Augustus was the son of God. It's on the Roman coins. Uh, DV Philly, son of God. And he was the son of Caesar, who was deified. And brought into the heavenly realm by Venus. This is all in the historians. People saw this. there's there's uh, reports. Julius Meritus says, "I saw with my own eyes. I saw Caesar's soul come out of his uh, casket and rise into the heavens." Mm. So you, the big religion of the time was the Roman imperial cult, syncretic religion of paganism, where Caesar's on top and there's a hierarchy below. Christianity comes along. And there's a new son of God, and it's Jesus this time, except now it's flipping on its head. The lowly are on top, and the, and the rich are on the bottom. They flip the whole thing on its head. And that's what made Christianity so compelling and so appealing to the masses, to mostly soldiers and people on the low classes and women and slaves. They're all converting to Christianity because now I can do exactly what Caesar did. I can, be, I can become saved and go to heaven and have eternal life just by 
simply believing in Christ, who's the new son of who is the son of God. So yeah, he's still a son of God. He's just it's a it's a it's a, a polemic. That's what it is. It's a polemic against what the the norm of the time was, which was Caesar, the son of God. Caesar was the son of God. It's it's a it's a flip a flipping of the poles, if you will. Does that make sense? And would you also connect that with the age of Aries going into the age of Pisces, where Aries, I remember, Steph, you were talking about this, how Aries is supposed to be like this warlike energy that the Romans were embodying. And then Pisces, would you say Pisces would be the opposite of that, like little fish? Or uh, what's up with that? Uh, you're asking me or you're asking Neil? If Neil does not know, I would definitely love to Well, hear I'll just you. say this yeah. real quick before you answer that, because I think you have a good answer for this. But I'll say literally there was a what's called the procession of the equinoxes. This goes back to the ancient Babylonians. Mm -hmm. It's where the sun rises every or every year or every 72 years. The sun rises in a certain place. And there's a great it's called the great procession of the equinox. And the, the, it, uh, it tells us what age we're in. And it's like every 1500 years or something like that. I think it goes to another age. Every 72 years, it goes to another uh, degree or something. 72 degrees, whatever. Anyways, there was an age of the bull, Taurus. That age ended and then was in the age of the ram. And then it was the age of uh, Pisces, which exactly lines up right around when the common era or the time, you know, BC, AD occurs. So... Right around this time, even with, with this, this has nothing to do with Judeo Christianity. This is from paganism. They were already preaching a new era is about to start. Just happens to line up with when Jesus and uh, lived his life and died and all that stuff. And so and that age happens to be coming to an end now. I think it's like hundred years from now or something, where will the sun will rise in Aquarius. So we're at the dawn of Aquarius right now. I'm not saying this is like this is not like um theoretical this is like we're literally where the earth is positioned in comparison of the sun and the 12 constellations that's all this is it's all it's just, and, uh, it's all. and before steph graham hancock talks a lot about how you have these structures like the pyramids like the sphinx that are pointing to these astrological alignments during the equinox so this was a way for the ancients to have like this giant calendar system so they know what age they were living in so steph take it from here and that would definitely love to hear from that. It's the dawning ben. of the age of Aquarius. Good song. <laughs> um, uh, this is this is weird. This is a really weird take an eye on, but he is essentially saying, in some sense, we live within a closed system, and our psyches seem to have some type of relationship with the um, stars. And it's not like maybe astrology and the way that people think about it matters with your birth, although maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a thing that he believes in. I'm not too sure. But it's more that, like, as the equinoxes sit in the sky they reflect back in us a certain sort of symbolic language there seems to be some relevance to this and so during the age of aries there was this set of dreams that were popping out of our heads that had a particular slant on them and as we came towards the end of that astrological age for whatever reason people started to dream an awful lot of new symbols and new dreams and this is sort of what he's pointing out like Jung saying that at the beginning of the christian age a huge amount of symbols erupted out of the people this is what Ion is sort of talking about. Ion is era. At the start of that era, there was this massive explosion of symbols. And then those symbols consolidated in Christ. And basically after Christ, after year fucking zero, there was this um, sorting out of the symbols. And then that became the symbolic language for the next 
2000 years, which is the era, the ion of Pisces, then as this era is coming to a close, this ion is coming to a close, we see the same thing happening. There's this been explosion, the death of God, and this explosion of new symbols. And Jung even points at stuff like flying saucers and the aliens. He points at um, technology. He points at like the, all the new, you, you, you look out there and you see all this crazy new stuff that is showing up, the DMT elves. All these new symbols are just getting churned and churned and churned and churned and churned. And he sort of he was pointing out the predicate that we're coming up now to some type of transition point, a new year zero, a new era, a new a new shift in gear stick. And uh, that's correlating with the transformation in the skies. Now, again, this could be just pure schizo take. You know, there's no there's no way that you can say that there wasn't symbols being produced in like ancient Europe. You know, you have like fairies and all this. I, I kind of find this a little bit sus myself. But um. I, I see what he's pointing out. I say I understand his idea. And so he's sort of saying there's a logical progression going on here. That we started in Aries. There might have been sort of, sort of maybe like a will to power pagan existence going on there. And then we transitioned into like, you know, and it even kind of makes sense. We had like more tribal, like, you know, ancient tribal fighting. And you needed more will to power back then. Then we transition into super societies, cities. This is what you have in the medieval era. And Christianity is going to be much more useful for this. The universal church, Catholicism, starts to set up this sort of neurological thing that it can reach out to everybody and creates like the first sort of super societies. And then now we're transitioning into technological society, which is the level up. We have the internet. We have, uh, you know, the internet in and of itself is probably enough to even justify that as being bizarre, but put on top of that we rocket have a, ship. We, we have soy cars, facing soy facing mass soy facing there's a text called the sibylline books these are these are so these books started off as pagan text from the roman imperial cult you had you they 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 mentioned this procession of the equinox thing they know about it they know it comes from the babylonians they mentioned the era of alexander the great this is the era of the ram so the god the jupiter back then if you will look at a depiction of jupiter or zeus he would have horns. He would have ram horns. Amun, horny. Amun was the was the was the uh, Egyptian. Yeah, horny. It represents power, and, and that's and that's exact, it's, it's funny because that's exactly what it means. Horny, that power, that raging power. That's why the god. Uh, Neil, Neil, sorry to interrupt, but like I was going to ask, is is there any correlation between that and the fact that the devil is now evil with yes. the horns? Yes, because yeah. the devil represents all the pagan gods rolled into one. He represents the opposition to christianity he's the 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 Satan satan means hasatan in hebrew means the uh the the opposer the um adversary adversary yeah right it's it's opposition so whatever the opposition is satan in fact islam it's in the sibylline books by the way the sibylline books started off like i was saying started off pagan then they then the jews take on these books get jewish sibylline text in the first century BCE, first century of the Common Era, and then Christians take on these texts, and then you have Christian sibylline texts during the Byzantine Era, all the way up to the 10th century, and they start talking about Baphomet. The Baphomet was actually a um, a Byzantine corruption of the word Mahomet, Muhammad. So Muhammad was the Baphomet because, not because he's evil or anything, because he was in opposition to Christianity. So you had this devil character, he has horns. He's got goat legs. He holds a trident in his hand. He's uh he plays the lyre like Apollo. <laughs> what does that sound like? It's he's all the pagan gods rolled into one. Pan, the god yeah, Pan. Pan. Like the I was going to say Pan. Yeah. So he, yeah. He's the image of Pan. He represents Amon. He represents Apollo. Bacchus, devil possesses you. Bacchus possesses all that stuff. And by the way, the word Lucifer is the Latin word for Venus. 
He's the goddess Venus, too. So the devil becomes that it's an archetype of the pagan religion rolled into one. And here's, that's, that's what it is. That's what Satanism is. Here's something interesting with that, because like obviously the horns directly associate with nastiness and evil and danger. But in ancient Ireland, I know this, there, there's a dude called Serranus, a dude. There's a god yeah. called Serranus. And he had he was a deer and he was a deer man. So he had actually the hooved legs and yep. he had big, uh, big horns. And I think the reason why they choose this is because it's a symbol of fertility. He was actually like, in some sense, the youthful savior God, because he's a representation of a young man in his prime. You know, he's big, strong, virile. He's got his hard dick that he can use to impregnate people. And this is very representation, uh, representative of what happens to a deer when he matures. He he bleeds and then he sheds his his horns, and then suddenly his glorious horns manifest themselves. And he's a uh, he's powerful, and he's a representation of the, the stag. You know, the stud, like literally that word. He's the stud, it's the stud god type thing. And um, I like again, this is kind of weirdly like Nietzsche. Nietzsche would critique Christianity and complain that it is uh, anti life. He would claim, complain that it um, does not uh, lead towards this symbol of pagan strength and fertility. And you see those ancient gods that they, you know, the deer God was the fertile God. Venus is the God of beauty and fertility, of course. And then that gets like compressed into the manifestation of evil, evil itself. And again, Jung actually pointed this out that what sort of happened is Christianity was the era where um, people became lofty. They, they turn into just like almost like pure spiritual beings. You read through the scholastic texts from the medieval times. And it seems so absurd to us that how did all these like intellectual elites spend their time arguing how many angels could fit on the head of a pin? And that's actually a real thing that happened, you know? Right. Like th there is all these texts discussing, it's seriously, like, you know, it's like modern science, but all that energy was instead pointed towards like deducting what was the hierarchy of angels in the sky. It was almost like, imagine if all of our intellectual academic resources were really fronted on deciding what was the the, the nature of DMT trips or something like this, or right. the, the symbols inside of that. It's really weird for us to think about this, but this is what European medieval life was like, because they had become so spiritually um, orientated. And that's very much the Piscean age. That actually makes an awful lot of sense. But only, but only part of their club, though, like they did not compare other religions like they did not say, well, this religion has like these hierarchies of uh, things that are kind of like angels. They only stuck to Christianity, right? Well, they weren't they weren't too like they get look, the Christians get an awful lot of slander that I think is very unfair because we're in some sense reacting against them. And um, like the Christians would often like keep the Jews around, you know, the people of the book and talk to them about like Hebrewism and the, the Hebrewism, but the Hebrews, they talk to them like, what do you explain to us the hierarchy of angels? and all this they just didn't really have that much contact with india and then um, with muhammad and the uh, and the the muslims like there was a lot of that went on in spain like that was a big thing that they would talk about down there as well so yeah they, they held on to some aspects of like orphism for example in an eighth is an eighth century text about saint orpheus who plays the lyre yeah. like orpheus yeah you have uh in the early early christian days in the cat in the christian catacombs underneath rome saint calista's catacombs you have the depiction of orpheus standing right next to Jesus. And and then and then in the 4th century in Athens there's a guy named Demetrius who is the last hierophant of the Eleusinian mysteries, which is a pagan cult. And apparently the story goes there's a legend about him being told by the goddess Demeter to worship Christ. So you have like it's like DC it's like imagine if DC and Marvel like cross paths for a second. That's what that and so Christianity sort of played into a, some of those aspects to its strength, in my opinion. I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
I, I, can give, I, I, I can give you another example. There were cases I read in this book, a great book called Daimonic Reality by Patrick Harper, talking about how you had these goddesses in uh, certain uh, springs that people used to visit, you know, back during the pagan days, and how these goddesses started to assume the form of the Virgin Mary. So the people then just got used to, oh, this is just the Virgin Mary. And before some of those goddesses made themselves known, not as the Virgin Mary, people just assumed. But then eventually they got with the program and they started to call themselves the Virgin Mary. So it's a very interesting thing. Again, if these things exist, the interplay that happens with these gods, formerly of all these pagan uh, uh, origins, starting to also uh, adapt to what the new reality is in order to influence people. I was talking, um, was talking to Egyptologists about this. The, the, the word in Egypt, Egyptian and in, in Coptic, Merut, Merut, means beloved. It was a title of Isis, and Isis is depicted holding the baby Horus in her hand. It's called the divine child myth. And the name Mary in Hebrew actually is a somewhat of a descendant. So it's like a it's a word that sort of means like water, but also beloved. And it becomes a it comes a popular girl's name in Hebrew. And then that's where you get Mary, and she's the holding divine child. So it's like some weird Jungian archetypal. She's uh, she's the water. She's the water in which the fish swims. The Jesus fish. And just on this as well, Ben, was I interrupting you there? Were you going to say? No, 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 no. No, I definitely want to get the Ben take. So uh, Steph, then Ben. (laughs) Um, God damn, I like half forget what I was going to say. Oh yeah, so everybody subscribe right now. Everybody subscribe. Hit the bell. (laughs) All right, Steph, go on. Uh, the idea of the transition of the gods also happens in paganism. It's fascinating if you look at ancient Greek. The predicate of many of the Greek myths is that there was these titans that lived there beforehand, and they were replaced by uh, Zeus. They were replaced by the Olympians. You know, they came in and they uprooted them and sent them down to Tartarus. Very similar to how the Christians come in, the Christian angels come in and, and boot the pagan gods or morph them and throw them down into hell. Like Tartarus hell is the same thing. You know, all the pagan gods get compressed and shoved down into hell. And it's the same thing. And then you have like Prometheus, a Titan um, going with the side of man to freedom from, from the Olympians. And you see this even in North mythology, there's the ice giants, the giants, and they are at war against the Aesir who are the, 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 the new gods, Wodan and all them. And this is their their mythological cycle that's there as well. So these things have a, a, a weird, like you could even look as, as that some type of transition of, of people or what's going on there. These things happen in this type of way. Like uh, one thing I'll say, Lev, quickly is that uh, I got to bounce very, very soon. Mm. If you could take some audience questions maybe before I bounce. If Absolutely, yes. Guys, if you have any super chat specifically for Uber Boyo, go on ahead. And also at five o'clock, uh, Ben, you do not know this, neither do you guys. We are going to have a surprise guest coming in, Max Derrett who Steph, I know you know Max, uh, Gnostic, you know Max. Ben, you do not know Max, but I guarantee you he is a hell of a guy, a heaven of a guy. He makes all these interesting videos about video games and anime and animation, how mm. they relate to these deeper philosophical concepts. In fact, I did a guest video for him about Sonic the Hedgehog, the esoteric secrets of Sonic the Hedgehog. I have but, a Greek class at five, so he'll be switching with me, but that's okay. cool. I'll, I'll be able to say hello. And- all right, Ben, if you could stick around just a little bit, if uh, unless you... You cannot unless you have to go at five. I, no, I'm not recording uh, my show until three o'clock my time, and I'm in LA, so I have like another hour and a half. And what is the name of the show? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> it's a good show. Well, just, oh, thank you, Gnostic Informant. I appreciate that. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Su- send super chat specifically for Uber Boyo because uh, our, our our boys got to go soon. But anyway, Ben, what is your take on what we've said right now about this changing yeah. of the yeah? So my thing is more of a a, a question for these uh, for you guys because c- concerning this, isn't Young's only crit- his not his only critique, but isn't his biggest critique in Ion? if I remember correctly of Christianity, it is that it, it didn't bring all the other things from all the other religions and myths with it, that it tried to start fresh. Doesn't he critique it that in a ion or am I misremembering? What, what, what would make you th- think he said that? Like what, what way do you remember him phrasing this? Cause it's kind of true, but not really. I think I literally remember, I wish I had found it before this, but I remember him saying this was basically a critique of Christianity and it, and I think I think he kind of loosely says that, and it made me somewhat realize that it seems that of all the religions, Christians seem to be the ones who kind of hunger for more. They're not quite just satisfied with Jesus and the Bible and those myths. And the way I, the way I kind of perceive other religious people of other faiths are pretty satisfied. Where I see I see something like I just watched that Werner Herzog documentary about the mandala from the early 2000s, where they lay head over toe to go visit the Bodhi tree over 3,000 miles. Did you guys know that? They lay over mountain passes. Uh, They stand up, they lay down uh, head to toe, and then they stand up again, and then they go to where their head was, and they lay down again. They'll travel 3,000 miles to see the mandala and the Bodhi tree. And it takes them years, and they get there, and there's a scar on their head. Now, I don't know a single Christian that would be willing to do something like that. I no. personally don't. And I know that's anecdotal. No, but. I think you're right about young criticizing Christianity for not being not allowing the Christian to do the process of individuation, which would be like allowing Satan to like allowing Satan, which is paganism, by the way, to, to like play a, a role and not just be demonized. Well, that's what's unfortunate. Is we don't have like a man. Christians, they don't have a mandala. Like, uh, like they do, like our mandala. What is it? it's? It's fucking Chick Fil A and Jesus and right. no, you're right, yeah. Trump and it's it's all this bullshit. Rather than like you know the mandalas, it's this eight these eight hundred ancient symbols of all these different things. So we're having to replace it with, I don't know, just all this, all this fucking crap well, and all this bullshit. I, well, look, I, look I, for example, real quick though, look at the um, Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, I hope it's in better shape right now. I don't know what's going on with it, but in Notre Dame Cathedral, you know, you have that circular window, and that's that might as well be a mandala. You know, like these patterns have been set in, and there are also legends talking about how you know you got the Freemasons, but then before the Freemasons, you had, and I sent this to Neil, you had these Dionysian uh, architects, these Dionysian artificers who allegedly helped the Jews create the Temple of Solomon, and how these were the cats that were inputting like all of the sacred geometry, all the stuff into the Greek temples, the Roman temples, and continued onwards with Christianity. So in a way, you could say like they were sneaking in, and in fact, they have a Substack art that I just wrote, subscribe to it, loveslens.com, I'm going to post the link, where I was talking about how you had these architects, these masons, that wanted to infuse all of this secret knowledge of how the universe works into architecture, into things that people encounter on a regular basis, so that it gets infused into their head, and they will, despite Christianity, despite anything that happened to follow Islam, they will have that sense 
of this whatever's beyond them, what they are also part of. Because our human body is also sacred geometry in a way. And I think like when you look at sacred geometry, when you look at something that has like this uh, proportional harmony, it does play a spiritual role in you. Like, I don't know, Ben, like, am I, am I talking shit here? Or do you also notice that like when you look at like these old architectural sites, like it fills you up in a certain way, like... Yeah, it, it, it definitely... It def that's what I'm that's why I'm saying like I'm looking for all this other stuff constantly I'm not quite satisfied and I think the sad thing about this Lev is and I'm only realizing this now is a lot of people unfortunately then throw out Christianity completely and they throw out Christ and the story of Christ and the Bible completely because they don't find themselves satisfied by right. it and that's unfortunate because it uh, like I mean I mean Ion is literally about the symbol of the fish and the, and the importance of Christ that's kind of it is one of the main messages by, of it, by and uh, we have to incorporate all these other things into it as well. Which I think the Gnostics were very good at. And by the way, Carl Jung, when they found the non-Hamadi scriptures in Egypt, they dug them up somewhere in like the 1940s or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think it was the 40s. Carl Jung was the first person to get his hands on them. Did he a, really? Yeah, he was one of the first people to be able to look at it and translate it and talk about it. And he spoke, he could translate it from Coptic and he, stuff? He learned Coptic. Wow. That's how smart Carl Jung was. And he was, he got his hands on, I think it was, I think the text, the particular text was the Apocalypse of John. This oh. is a text about Sophia and the Ions. Yes. It's a, it's a different Genesis myth through the lens of the Gnostic Christians. Yeah. And so you could see how young was like looking at those as like, this is the Christianity that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Yes. Yes. But, and yeah. when I got into Gnosticism uh, like three months ago and I started reading the Nag Hammadi, I mean, everything started clicking for me where I said, yep. I thought I ha only had these theories about the old Testament and the new Testament and about uh, Christianity in general. And all of these things were starting to click and actually make sense. Stories in the Old yep. Testament where I go, I feel like the devil is sort of appearing to the Israelites here and telling them things, and they think it's God. And then I'm reading this, Makes and I'm going, sense. oh, yes. this ancient text is literally saying that. Dude, that's so, Gnosis right there. That's Gnosis right there. I love yeah. it. But Young, yeah, Young was the one of the first private buyers of the non-Humani text. I can't believe he learned Coptic and trained. I mean, that guy's like James Joyce in terms of all the languages and history he knew. Yeah, That's geez. crazy. Well, guess who his reincarnation is? This guy in front of the red, red background. Oh, Uberboyo as well. I think both of you guys, both of you guys are like the twin seeds. Oh, I think you're spurred James from. Sorry. Well, James Joyce. Okay, no, James Joyce, that's Uber Boyo. And oh, yeah. Carl Jung, I think it may be Neil. It may be Gnostic and Foreman. I'm pretty sure that is. A lot it's of inspiration for me, though, because Young, when he was young, was obsessed with reading as much ancient texts as possible, which is like kind of the state that I'm in right now. I'm over yeah. here. In you're my learning theory. Greek. You're learning yeah. Hebrew. I'm learning Greek. And I know Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah, you know wow. Hebrew. Yeah. No, yeah. this guy uh, don't, don't, don't mess up, doesn't mess around. Coptic will be next, I think, after I learn Greek. I'm getting pretty oh, good. Oh, boy. But, uh, but anyway, like, okay, so when it comes to where we are right now with this age of Aquarius, what exact – you know what? No, screw that. Before the age of Aquarius, when we're talking about the age uh, before the ram, what was it, the bull, Taurus, did they also have, like, a similar thing and the ram have a similar thing when it comes to excluding all the other configurations of the Zodiac and labeling them the enemy? They didn't, right? Like, Christianity, that seems to be the only one that kind of labeled – all the other zodiacs into this one satanic figure. 
Oh uh, well, the zo- not, I don't know about the zodiac. The zodiac kind of just is like a. Camel. Oh no, 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 sorry, not the zodiac, but you know what I mean, like all of these. You have, you have. Qualities. You go yeah. to Israel. Actually, it's in Nazareth, by the way. Yeah. I went. To, I was just in Nazareth last year. There's a there's a um a synagogue with the zodiac in it. Greek everywhere. It's all Greek. There's Hebrew there too, but there's a lot of Greek text on the walls and stuff. It's a very Hellenized form of Judaism that was happening in that time period, and it's dated to the first century too. It's where Jesus grew up. He probably went in there. Probably well, putting on your question directly, Lev, as well. Like the very famous example of this is Moses. Moses is, in some sense, the a messenger of Aries. He was bringing down, you know, the mm. the, Ar- the Aryan law, in some sense. And uh, he, what did he burn? Uh, a bull, a calf. Yeah. He destroyed the golden he held, calf. He held a serpent on a rod, like a squeak. Like Zarathustra. Moses held it up in his hand, exactly. And that's you know. in the te- that's in your Torah. And like people are like. They don't call that pagan because... And that's the, the, the kundalini energy, you know, like the serpent hey, going up the rod, you know, go. enlightenment. Think, think about it. What does he do with it? He holds up the serpent with a with a, with a, a rod with a serpent on it. And what does he do? He heals people with it. I mean, like, that's like it was pagan as it gets right there. That's like the rod of Asclepius, the healer. So, and that's in the, that's in your Torah, and people, you know, and they're not going to look at that. They're also not going to look at the recent discoveries that Gnostic made about how the Holy of Holies. Get this: the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Jerusalem. First, it had a dude, like a golden statue of like this little dude riding a donkey. Donkey. Steph could probably do a better impression. Well, okay. yeah. to, to clarify, so yeah. Antiochus, which is the he was like the Hitler of the time, by the way. He was if there was a Hitler in the third century BCE, it would have been Antiochus. He went into Jerusalem, sacked the temple, raided everything, and then they apparently, according to an author named Manasius, who lived in this time period, reported that Antiochus took out of the Holy of Holies a golden statue of a man riding a donkey. Interpret that as you will. That's what he said. Antiochus took out. Antiochus ends up losing the next war, he, the next battle he goes into. He gets killed right after that. So that's in the book of Maccabees, by the way. That's the story of Hanukkah. Antiochus is like the, the Hitler before Hitler. And then the other time was with uh, Pompey the Great going to the same place, you know, raiding the temple. And 63. in there, yeah, and in there he found what? He found a, a golden wreath of uh, vine leaves, which yep. is a symbol for Dionysus. Yeah, this, so this is from Plutarch and Tacitus. They both wrote about this, that when Pompey raided, did the same thing as Antiochus, but I guess he wasn't as evil for whatever reason. But he goes into the temple of he goes, 63 BCE. He raids Jerusalem, conquers all the whole east, conquers Syria, conquers Egypt. While Caesar was in Gaul conquering Gaul, Pompey was in the east conquering Judea. Anyways, he goes into the Holy of Holies and finds nothing. It's empty, except... A wreath uh, looks looks like this. Everybody subscribe right now and go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash break the rules. It would have looked exactly like this. A golden wreath. Uh, it's an ivy diadem. It's this thing that Bacchus wears on his head. Let's go. Uh, gentlemen, I'm, I'm going to have to bounce, I'm afraid. I'm going to have to pop off now. Well, let me just read the Super Chats real quick, the ones that we do have, because one of them may be for you. So we have Vic Vinegar, probably related to Vic Burger, $2. Uber Boy, Reeds, Algis, Uzdavinis, and Ananda Kumaraswamy. Uh, could you send uh, those names in chat, please? Absolutely. I'm going to send those names in the chat. And uh, there was another super chat, but it was just $10. Richard Cox, 
Thank you so much, Richard Cox, for the ten dollars. Yeah, it reminds me of the whole like the sun being the giant penis. But Uberboy, where can people find you? How can people support the heaven out of you, good sir? Uh, go over to uh, YouTube. It's probably the best place to find me. I'd say I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, but YouTube is the where the bulk of things are going. Algis Uze Davinsky and Anana Kumar. What the hell? There's some. I, names. I, I look... think he's making fun of the name. It's probably spelled differently. Ananda, that's the guy who saw the spiritual eye, you know, like the third mm. eye. So, yeah, interesting people. I have no idea what the other two author, are here. I think that's an author. He's talk... yeah, no, that's... they're they're real people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have one of his books over here about Orpheus, by the way. Mm, very interesting. All right. Well, Uberboy, also be sure to follow you on uh, Twitter, on Instagram. And uh, yeah, you are one of the greats. And I really appreciate uh, you being here. Go to New York. We want to do a live event. Ben, come to New York. Neil, come to New York. We're going to do a live event in New York City. Okay, probably this the summer is going to be the very beginning, but we're going to keep going like in the fall and then the winter. I want to do these live events yeah, now. That's scale. it. It's happening. Break, breaking the rules. All right, all right. Let's let's see what we can sort out. I'll do an American wing at some point. Come over Hell there. Yeah. Straight, straight news all out, so we can sort that out. Um. All right, gents. Ben, it was lovely to meet you, my man. Nice Mr. to meet Neil. you, yes. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. Well, well done, Neil. You're uh, an absolute encyclopedia. And Lev, thank you, as always, for organizing. Absolutely. And, guys, we have another super chat here from Constantin. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here's my, oh. my, my Elgis. My Elgis Uden. Nice. I knew I had – I recognized the name. I was like, I know I've read something about him. Yeah, you, you've got like a bag yeah, like wrote, Felix the Cat. You know, he wrote about like... Orpheus and Platonism. It's a pretty good text, too, by the way. Nice. So, Constantine Hazibanov, 100 MKD. Let's see how much that is in, like, real people's money. That's a 179 U.S. dollars, which, thank you. I'm not going to be, like I always say, I'm not going to be like Stefan Molyneux, you know, who uh, disregards smaller amounts of money. That's, that, that, that's not the way to do it. I really do appreciate it. So, Constantine says, anything interesting about Adam and Eve symbolism? I mean, we were just talking about the serpent, and there is that whole Gnostic idea of the serpent being not the bad guy, but something to actually prompt Wisdom. these beings. Yeah, to, to get them to think instead of just being like these mindless sheep that God has. This is like personal, you know, like I imagine like a soy-facing God looking at his like little little private uh, sanctuary there for like the Adam and Eve and how he's probably gotten really pissed off that they decided to go on their own like I don't know like uh, Neil what do you make of the Adam and Eve mythology that's a very old mythology right like it does not just start so, with the uh, Torah so the way I would interpret this text would be that we are as a human species compared to other animals out there in the in the world we are actually cursed with the knowledge of death. We know, like, and a squirrel out in nature is not thinking about their uncle that's going to pass away in a few months from old age. They don't care. They're not even. They don't even know that. Per it's not even on their in their mind at all. We as humans, we're thinking about our loved ones all the time. We're thinking about life. Thinking about the future. We have this curse of wit, and it's from wisdom and knowledge, which ultimately are good things. Because they bring us, you know, society, they bring us civilization, but they're also, it's also a curse because we have to, we are, we are burdened with the knowledge of all this stuff and it can be depressing. So that's that bite of the, the taking the bite of the, of the fruit of, of you're, you're doomed to die now. Now, you know what death is. You understand what death is. 
That's a curse. That's how I interpret that. Mm. Ben, what do you think? And you were uh, raised Christian, but, by the way, j just so I understand. You were also, just like Neil had his uh, Christian uh, phase with the yeah, uh, Baptist. Yeah, my sect specifically was Church of Christ. So uh, no dancing, uh, no instruments, no stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like it's when people are, are confused by it, I just go, it's just footloose. Just, it's just footloose. <laughs> Whatever. It was like there's five big rules that we focused on, you know, no premarital sex, no masturbating, uh, no swearing, no tobacco use, no drinking, no instruments, and no dancing. And it's like if you do all those things for some reason that – makes you it's uh it's uh, just the um uh the idea of what you don't do is what makes you a good person not what you actually it, and it's it's also i was listening to alan watts recently and he said it's a very american it's a very western christian idea the idea that it's uh um that you, you are not in fact your actions you are your your thoughts you're you're your beliefs actually which is very, uh, exactly. but when it comes to, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, that's the, uh, I mean, that's the beginning of wisdom right there. The tree of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was actually a good thing. And thank God, uh, thank God, uh, the, the serpent, uh, came down and, uh, told him to take it because supposedly, uh, they were actually freed from their prison. It wasn't actually paradise. They were living in, uh, in, uh, darkness. They were living in a world, uh, where their consciousness was very, 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 very small. Like their awareness of things was not very big at all. And so they couldn't know God. They couldn't know uh, what good was. And to know what good was, they also have to know what evil is, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. For context. So that's the Gnostic idea. It's actually... Uh, and, then, and then the Gnostic idea, too, is that uh, the natural world was created uh, by Yaldabaoth, right? And the Demiurge and all these things. And it was actually created by Satan, and we have to all become like Jesus and become pure consciousness, and and then we'll never die, right? Am yeah, I kind of not Kamadi? Am I breaking it down? You're right. You're missing one thing, though. You're, you're spot on. Except that one thing is that Sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom, is the true creator of the universe. Mm -hmm. She created Yaldabaoth in secret, right? Without permission. He doesn't know this. He thinks he's the boss. Mm. He doesn't realize that he has to answer to another god and he'll be judged one day so you get to bypass him and go right to sophia and that the idea was that christ knew this knowledge he had this gnosis of sophia christ was born of sophia and uh so you're, you're, you're so why you're, then did y'all did y'all deboa say you shall not have no other gods uh before him. me so he was aware of other gods this leads us to believe that christianity is actually a polytheistic thing yeah, oh yeah this is thing. this is this is a big point Early on, I mean, if you go to like the earliest Jewish texts and commentaries, it's not that they didn't believe other gods existed. They thought that every region, every um, how do I uh, every geographical location had a god that worshipped that had a god that ruled that land. So Israel was ruled by Yahweh, Egypt was ruled by Amon, and Athens was ruled by Athena. And they thought that these were all daemons. They weren't gods that like can do anything to you. There was a monad on top of everything. And all these other gods were basically mediators between the monad, the one, the, the, the main source, the god that has no feelings, doesn't do anything, doesn't get ever get jealous, can't be jealous, can't be mad, can't be angry because it's perfect. It's all knowing. It's all perfect. 
but the, below that was your geographical daemons, basically mediators. And then Yahweh was the God of Israel. That was the main. That was actually the. Um, that was the norm for all of most 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 geographical locations in the Middle East at that time. Was whatever geographical location you were in, you had a specific god. That's why David, and in, in fact, in the in the book of uh, Kings or Chronicles, David acknowledges uh, which god was it? It was uh, Dagon. He said Dagon when when he went to the Philistines, they had to they had to deal with Dagon. Dagon's ruling that land, so they had to deal with Dagon. And Solomon, by the way, there's a text. It's right in the right in the Old Testament. Solomon actually gives actually builds. Te- um, Altars for like other gods like Astarte and uh, Moloch. That's in the Bible. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Moloch, Mo problems. That's what I always say. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, the, since we're still on the Garden of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. This is a hard thing to comprehend for people too, because they go, "How could the serpent be good?" In the story, it makes no sense. And then you flip, you get to page 72, chapter 6, the sign of the fishes. And then Young starts completely, I mean, the man is a total iconoclast in terms of shattering all of these religious images for you. When he goes on and on and describes how, he says, the figure of Christ is not as simple and unequivocal as one could wish. I am not referring here to the enormous difficulties arising out of comparison of the synoptic Christ with the, uh, John. he says, Johannine christ but that's just john right yeah yeah but to the remarkable fact that in the hermeneutic writings of the church fathers which go right back to the days of primitive christianity christ has a number of symbols or allegories in common with the devil of these i would mention the lion the snake the colibur the viper the bird the raven the night heron the eagle and the fish and it's also worth noting that lucifer the morning star means christ as well as the devil right so then you just go, man, this is uh in the book of Revelation. He says, I yeah. he says, I am the morning star. That's in Latin, Lucifer is morning star. Mm-hmm. So he calls himself Lucifer. Yeah. Cause then you go uh, Chronicles of Narnia, like the lion, like Aslan, he's like the represent uh, representation of God, but then it's like then like what and then you go, well, in Revelations, why is the seven horned lamb and with seven eyes? Why is that Christ? That seems more like the devil or something. Like that doesn't seem to resemble Christ at all, but it's just, it's all, uh, uh, th- then he, he goes on and on about that for a while. And it's very fascinating. And it it's, is. uh, young, I, young, young was basically a Gnostic Christian, right? Once he Absolutely. got his hands on these yeah. texts. He's yeah. the, he's, the, I think young is the one who brought back Gnosticism into the public sphere. Like if it wasn't for young getting the, his, his hands on the Nagamati text and like bringing up a Braxis in, in the red book, there wouldn't be Gnostics today. Like that would just be a thing of the past. He brought now, you'd be called something else. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm realizing too that he uh, he was the one who translated the text from Coptic. I didn't even know he was the one translator. Not, not all of them. I think it was just one specific one that he that he got. Clean on. Of John. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we have uh, with us the great and powerful Max Derrett who I think is absolutely indispensable at enlightening people today when it comes to all of their media, their video games, their uh, uh, movies, what esoteric connections lie inside of them. So, Max, thank you so much for coming, brother. Can you hear us all right? Can we hear you? Yeah, can you hear me? I hope I'm not crashing anything. No, no, no I do got to get going. I got a class to go to, but it was nice seeing everybody. Where nice can people find you? 
Where Nostic people- Informant, YouTube.com slash Gnostic Informant. There it is. Please support out your stuff. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so, nice to meet all you support guys. Neil. Neil is great. I love him. And uh, yeah, uh, wishing the very best. And let's, let's talk real soon. Thank you. And guys, don't forget to smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Click the bell. The bell is extremely important for growth. And also, check out the new Substack lev levslens.com that is a new custom dom- domain name so twitter is not going to censor it anymore so levslens.com oh. yes sir uh, can i plug my stuff too hell yeah go for it right now uh yeah uh, patreon.com slash lemon party and uh with that you know we make sketches and pay our bills and stuff and you can go to our lemon party youtube channel we have uh we make sketches on there and uh we also do podcasts and it's it's comedy so it it is it is incredibly funny. I always enjoy listening to Lemon Party much more than I enjoy listening to Tim Dillon, and that is that is the honest truth. Okay. Especially when it comes to all the Ukraine stuff. I'm not going to get into that right now, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you are Ukrainian, right? Well, my dad on my dad's side is sort of like a Russian Ukrainian mix. We have relatives there, but as far as like things that are, you know, like the whole uh, Nazi memorabilia uh, sure, uh, yeah, yeah. stuff and stuff like that, it's all mm-hmm. bullshit because it's the same level as things happen in America. They find some people, they point them out, even though it was like around zero point something percent of the far right parties that were elected into parliament and- in Ukraine. It's funny for uh, I think a lot of I find myself doing this all the time where I go, uh, oh, you can't trust the media. And then I find the media saying something I think might be true. And I go, ah, man, look at this. And I just hold it up as like empirical evidence. And then like later I find it's it's, uh, they're also completely corrupt. So I go, well, I'll just probably keep ignoring everything. Yeah, that's uh, probably for the best, Uh, you know, because people want to be against something. You know, they see it as like the quote unquote current thing. But then Mm -hmm. the problem that happens then is that once you're in that mindset, when there is something that's actually truthful, you're going to go against that because it happens to be a truth that's shared by, I don't know, like the Biden administration or by whoever else you don't like. So as a result, you completely dismiss it. And I know for a fact that there are foreign agents out there from Russia who are using this kind of stuff to manipulate people's brains. But uh, I'm not going to say more than that for all they the people. They just did that in the past. They don't do that now. They stopped doing that. They said they're sorry. It's fine. It's fine, Lev. They're not doing it anymore. Please. No, sir. And uh, instead of paying attention to the news, you should be paying attention, well, first of all, to all the people who are here today to break the rules. Make sure to subscribe. And also Patreon, $20 tier reward. Beautiful magnets that my father, Alexander, created. If you become a $20 tier member, they could be yours. And I am going to be doing, like, monthly Patreon-only hangouts where we're going to get into the deep, uncensored lore, things that we cannot talk about on YouTube. So be sure to become a patron for that. And also having a privileged place in the BTR Discord, whose address I'm also going to put in the chat right now. But anyway, the other thing that you should definitely listen to is Max Derrett and playing video games like, I don't know, Ben, have you ever played Xenogears? Uh, no, but can I ask you a question real quick? Yes. Uh, may I go dunk my dick in the toilet real fast? Dunk your dick in the toilet. And while you're dunking your dick in the toilet, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Max Derrett and how much of a wonderful guy he is. So, Speaking of dunking your dick in the toilet, let's talk to Max Derrett. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Max Derrett, yes. I'm going to talk about Young when uh, Ben Ski comes back here. But, sure. while, but while you are here right now, 
tell us what you've been working on and also tell us what exactly is the reason why people should watch uh, your videos. So if you're looking for a way to develop how do how do I condense this? Because I do go into a whole bunch of different things. I, I suppose if you're looking for alternative forms of knowledge, ones that are sort of outside of the pre-established mediums, and you're looking for a way to develop your capacity for free thought, different modes of thinking, and higher forms of consciousness, I try to investigate all of those on my channel. So you just reference video games, for example, you know, most people when they seek out uh, profound ideas, they go to books and understandably so books are an indispensable tool, but I show how you can get a lot of the same benefits uh, out of video games and uh, combining both books and video games, as well as other mediums, you can uh, achieve higher forms of knowledge. Um, and then when it comes to the traditional uh, disciplines like religion, psychology, philosophy, um, I do delve into some of the more, um, you know, mainstream ideas, but I also go into more of the esoteric, like you guys have been doing here, uh, from what I understand today, stuff like Gnosticism, Kabbalah, things that uh, sort of put emphasis on psychological experience. I do a lot of that as well. And uh, to give an example, you just cited one, Xenogears. That's a uh, one of the top 10, I think, most profound games ever made. Uh, it's a video game from 1999. It was a rejected concept for Final Fantasy VII, in case uh, you know some of you guys didn't know that. That's an interesting tidbit. And within it are a lot of references to a lot of those esoteric ideas. Uh, there's, like I said, the Kabbalah, Gnosticism, as well as the ideas of Jung. So if that sounds uh, interesting to you, if I made that coherent at all, why don't you uh, come over and check out my channel? Um, uh, you also asked what I was working on. Um, very quickly, I uh, right before I checked out the stream earlier on today, I was playing a video game called The Outer Wilds, hoping to do a video on that pretty soon. It's a remarkable game. And then I'm also uh, looking to finally start my series on Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. So I'll be doing something similar to what I did with Jung's Ion, but for that. So that's oh, yeah. it. And we are talking about Jung today specifically. And uh, Ion was a book that Ben was reading. You did not finish reading the whole thing, Ben, but I think you've read enough to get a yeah. good gist of what was going on. Is that seaweed? What are you chewing there? Oh, it's a piece of um, this is German um, pumpernickel bread, actually. Ooh, that I got at the farmer's market. Oh, nice. Good call. Uh, it's such a night like when there are farmers markets, you know, like you're not living in that bad of a world, you know, mm -hmm. like imagine once everything breaks down, no more farmers markets, no more nice, you know, waving of the hand to the nice, uh, you know, people at the booth there. You know, it does make me think that despite like the homeless problem and I don't know, where are you, Ben, right now? Are you in uh, Texas or L.A.? I live in Los Angeles. Oh, dear. Yet you still have the positive energy of the farmer's market to yeah, make it feel like it's uh, beautiful. It's the sun shining every day. It's a beautiful thing. I, I love the sun. It, it gives me so much life and so much hope. But the homeless people, they're not dragging you down like the whole situation there with the tents and it's all that. Fine. You're kind of used it's to it by now. Fine. Who cares? 
you're not worried that one of them's just gonna like go and like have a shiv and just uh, you know one day i got well uh uh no because i uh you know you can live in areas in la where you don't deal with the homeless people and then people like they live behind like uh they live in like really nice communities and they're very wealthy and then all they fucking talk about is like homeless people it's like you don't see them what are you talking about and they're like not a problem for you or are you guys obsessed with this is my thing where like people have so much contempt for humanity and then they talk about like all these ways to like uh, how people should uh, t uh you know look after themselves where they talk about vaccines and gun control and uh, the homeless and they go oh this is how you can uh they don't give a shit they, it's just the the current thing and they want fucking attention you know you have fucking it, these people are so transparent how much they hate humanity Fuck! What the, what the fuck? Why I care what you think about vaccines? Like you give a shit about people people dying? You don't give a fuck. No, I mean that that's something very true. Per personally, personally for me, personally for me, like I want to make sure that you know my family is safe, or, you know, away from any kind of random crazy drugged out people attacking them. As far as mm -hmm. other things, yes, it would be good to have them get help and all that. But I'm not going to say like, I'm, you know, like some hero who's going to go out and, you know, save all the homeless. You know, like probably there's a lot of them who just, you know, they're just like in that state. You know, like let's start from the youth, I guess. Let's start from the younger people as far as influencing them not to go in the direction of becoming homeless in the first place. But that being said, like inspiration is something that is very much needed and that we don't really have today like that was my big criticism of uh christianity in that we do have you know certain people getting pumped by this idea of you know yay america's a big gonna become like a christian theocracy again and we're gonna kick out all the gays and you know all that but for the most part though I think a lot of it is very performative and it's based less on embracing some spirituality and more on just owning the lips. You know, yeah. like there's not that much of a sense of actually understanding, well, what is this nature that is pushing us towards creation? You know, like that's the thing that's kind of missing today. And I know, Max, before we get into Aeon, I think it's kind of part of it too. Do you see video games and certain movies, pieces of media as in a way inspiring these kind of things subconsciously for people or do you think like most of it like if people play xeno gears or whatever most of it is just gonna be like oh beep beep boop boop you know giant robot i'm fighting the other robot and like all the esoteric shit just like goes through people's heads and people don't pay attention uh, i think the majority of it goes over people's heads it's the the language of esotericism is a language for isolated hermits and uh there's not a whole lot of us but uh those who walk the path uh, i think it's it becomes more special uh with how limited it is um for us but also because you know we can teach other people about it derive meaning from that and bring them along the journey with us which is what i try to do so in a way you're acting as a node to get all the other people on board who may not fully understand what you're talking about, but you sure. are going to be, you're going to be inspirational enough for them to kind of, uh, to kind of follow you. And I think Ben, you're doing a similar thing with lemon party. So for example, you have like the name lemon party, it evokes different things. Even for people who don't know the meme, 
it invokes this feeling of, you know, sunshine, you know, like what's better than like oh, drinking lemonade, you know, from the lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, you yeah. Know? It's there, misleading, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like, you know, and there's your grandpa over there and you look at him and you think, oh, it's just my grandpa. He's so sweet and innocent. And <laughs> like he's just enjoying a good lemonade with you, you know, not mm-hmm. really knowing the things that goes on, you know, behind this. I mean, that's really like the thing behind like, Max, are you aware, speaking of media and influence, yeah. Are you aware of the Lemon Party meme? No, sir. Ben, enlighten this chat. Ch- uh, Please. It, Lemon Party was a shock website from the early to mid 2000s, along with like Meat Spin, where you go, dude, you haven't been to lemonparty.org? You should totally dude, go to lemonparty.org. Or you just make it someone's homepage. So when they, they have no idea, or you just send it an email link. Basically, you would click on it, and it's one single image of two elderly. Three gentlemen. One is yeah. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> two two Caucasian elderly gentlemen. One's kind of obese. One's just whatever. And then an Asian, an elderly Asian man, and they're all sucking each other's dicks. And that's the whole thing. There's nothing. There's nothing funny now. If you go to lemonparty.org, the site still stands. But I thought it would be a funny SEO hack like a search engine optimization thing where people are searching lemon party. Uh, now, if you search lemon party, I think I'm like the fourth thing that comes up, which is uh, very funny to me. Uh, so I'm kind of like, I really like this rapper. His name is John Wayne. His name is J O N W A Y N E. And he was this great big fat guy who lived in Alhambra and man, he made some great beats and some great raps. He's really, really good. Heavily influenced by uh, uh, Jay Dilla and Bukowski specifically. And I believe his great grandfather was John Wayne or he's related to John Wayne in some way. And he said that his goal was to take back the name. And I always thought that was a really cool thing where he goes, eventually I'm going to get so big. John Wayne, they won't think about him. They'll think about Mm. me. And that's a with Lemon Party, too, after we did it, even though I just thought it was like it's also, by the way, it's also just funny to me. It kind of protects me because people go, can you believe what they said on Lemon Party? <laughs> the show named after the three old guys <laughs> each other off. Like, it sort of protects me completely from, like, if you get pissed off at my show or the fact that my Patreon is growing, it, this is, you're all in a fight with yourself. What's that? Yes. What's that quote from the Apocryphon? You... Uh, no one can persecute you except you yourself. Uh, that is, if you are mad about Lemon Party existing or the success of it, hey, buddy, guess what? You're losing sleep at night over a show called fucking Lemon Party. It makes me laugh really hard to, to think about. So, And the show's really dumb. It's no, really it, no, 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 no. It's it's a really smart show. You're talking bullshit. Watch the show. Uh, it starts with the soy facing that Ben does, and then you guys talk about uh, all kinds of uh, wonderful, beautiful, artistic things. And uh, you know, it is a it, it is a joy. It is an absolute joy to watch. But uh, Max, I actually want to unpack this before again we go to. You want to unpack a, uh, two, uh, three elderly dudes sucking each other off. I want to unpack. Yes, I want to unpack. Here, here's why. Here's why. Wow, I'm going to get on a watch ego, list for the sure. Id, the ego, the id, the super ego, it represents a total, like a complete psyche, right? <laughs> yeah, like, well, no, just like. Guys each other off. 
Oh, like right. the idea. The idea is that you would take something that would be so you know, like the last thing that people would think about when it comes to sex. You know, it probably uh, would be old men. You know, and just to have something like that. Your grandpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your your grandpa drinking the lemonade. You know, <laughs> and, and also the the angle of one of them being Asian, because when you think back to World know, War right? Two, you yeah. know, like that could have been like one of their arch nemesis during sure. world war ii like the japanese there and they were fighting and then finally it's peace and it's like an inversion of like, i want to point out everybody thinks <laughs> that the guy's japanese and we don't know if that's true <laughs> but just because they're they're perverted you know that's a japanese guy for sure. no i i don't think it was because of that although that is an interesting take as well which we can get into like the whole you know hentai and all of that stuff but no i'm thinking more along the lines of like their age because when that came yeah. out they were old enough to be mm -hmm. World War II veterans. That's right. So, yeah, so if you have yeah. somebody who's Japanese, you know, he must have been fighting, you know, for the emperor. He thought, like, you know, this is it. Like, I'm going to kamikaze. And then he was, like, the one guy who was not able to properly kamikaze. You know, like, he, he flew back mm -hmm. or there was an accident. And so then eventually he, you know, moved to America. He became friendly with some of these World War II veterans. And they put all their differences aside. And, you know, decided to go their own way. This is the original MGTOW, men going their own way. They decided to, you know, screw women, you know, not screw the women, you know, not screw the women, but mm. screw the women metaphorically and to, you know, chart their own path. And that is also the big question of what do we do when we have this freedom to do whatever the hell we want? Do we devote our lives to just, you know, sucking each other off as like this, uh, the snake eating its own tail, you know, just like this. <laughs> uh, what was it? What, Wouldn't that, that be sucking yourself off? That we have for the advanced <laughs> yogis. But theoretically, you know, if the Lemon Party people created like just like this. Or a uh, <laughs> Yeah, like right. a, with a lemon in the middle, you know, that's the flag. Mm -hmm. You know that's the uh, that's the mandala of the uh, of the lemon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but but actually to bring this back into Carl Jung, did he? <laughs> oh, were you talking about the marriage of the Christ and the Antichrist? Did I have a, an edible marriage... before? Like, I'm getting on a Car... watch list for sure, man. <laughs> By the way, this is why people don't take Peterson like like they don't take him seriously anymore. Because he'll look at like a picture of a really fat, like let's say a hundred pound baby, and he's like, "Oh, you know, it's kind of interesting because the diaper kind of sort of represents like it could be like the amniotic, it could be the womb, so to speak, and that's where all the fluid is. That's where the poop and the pee resides. And this is where all life comes from." And you go, "Man, stop, stop intellectualizing everything. You'll ruin your life. They're just things, symbols for other things." Indeed, but young. Was he anticipating this this sexual revolution where we'd have all these like the goat say man, tub girl, we'd have all these shock sites and how people end up being desensitized to things that, you know, back during Young's time, if you were to have shown a picture of three men sucking each other off, you know, like, sure, like Weimar Republic, that was full of that kind of stuff, but eventually that receded, right? Like, eventually, people still held on to that Christian ideal of, you know, being, like, upright and moral and only having sex after marriage. I mean, obviously, you know, not really, but that was still, like, the thing that people focused on, right, Max? Like, did would you say that Young anticipated where we are today in terms of degeneracy or that yes. didn't really okay go for it yes well I, I wouldn't say that he anticipated that it would evolve into the form that it it took but remember 
Jung was a student of Nietzsche, right? And Nietzsche, his whole thing was about like whether or not people would be able to create their own values in a post-God world. And Jung, he was the milieu that he was in at the time was sort of what Nietzsche predicted would happen in the 20th century, which was people trying to create their own values. And that first took the form of totalitarianism. And then in the latter half of the 20th century, it was sort of a return to the individual. And a part of that was just returning to your base instincts and trying to be like the Stoics and trying to live in accordance with nature. But it was uh, how they wanted to live in accordance with nature. And uh, they, like you said, just uh, went to becoming degenerates and that degeneracy has uh, in a lot of ways evolved and gotten even worse in the internet age. So um, yeah, again, not exactly, I, I, I don't think, I don't know if he predicted the internet or it taken that form, but he, I have no doubt that he predicted that it would continue to evolve down that negative pathway until uh, people started to turn inwards in a more healthy way, in a more constructive way, which was his life's project you know, his whole psychological project. Well, Ben, like there are certainly more people living today than there ever were before as far as what they're spending their time doing. Like we're not really gardening. We're not really working with our hands that much. You know, who am I to say, you know, I don't work with my, you know, I don't like go out and till the soil either. You know, I'm sure none of us really do that. But yeah, and Young would say if you don't do things like that and spend time in nature, your psyche is severed in two. Yeah, we're all we're all screwed up. But would you also say that this coming of the Antichrist has to do with this uh, lack of going into the soil, into the ground, lack of understanding nature, that because we are all connected to these screens and this is the primary way we end up communicating, especially like a lot of the Zoomers and younger, that that's going to do something to our brain, which will keep us in like a further a further level of plato's cave you know like a deeper level yes of... so, so could i tell you a dream i had two nights ago go after reading Aeons, and i'm not i'm not trying to be like some lynchian you know uh you know gay wad or something <laughs> but dreams mean a lot to me and they mean a lot to young so here's a dream i had two nights ago since i've been reading aeon for the past uh like week and a half right two nights ago i had a dream that I was walking in a Walmart, a place like a Walmart, where there were these awful, terrible, big, long tube fluorescent lights overhead. Just that, I mean, I, Walmarts, places like that, I don't know about you guys, I'm terrified of being in a place like that. I feel like I'm getting sick. I feel like there's fungus in the air. Uh, the, the people are, uh, man, people they're... Walmart. They're... they're monstrosities there's no other way to put it their their lives are there it's every single every person is more tragic than the next right and uh, you can't believe what you're seeing so i'm in this walmart and it's a the lights are coming down and, and it's like hurting right and it's a filthy place and i find on the ground people have been stepping over these two two dead hummingbirds and they're kind of like blackened and they have this sort of uh, this soot over them, and they're dead. And I scoop them up in my palms, and I'm walking around this Walmart, and I don't know what to do. And I'm looking at the two birds that are that have are have been long dead. And I'm with my I think I'm with my wife in the dream, 
But either way, what I do is eventually I decide to walk outside and I'm walking through these blinding fluorescent that blue light stuff. And I come outside where there's kind of like mixtures of, of all of all these clouds and everything. And I walk out into the parking lot and I lift the birds up like this and the clouds part and this sunshine comes through the clouds. And it's this beautiful, brilliant, like golden light, like honey, like brilliant. It, it hits the birds and they start vibrating like this in my hands and they, they, un, they undie. They, uh, to even say they they came alive is like they like they went the their bodies the the state of uh you know atrophy like it it, it all reversed and they came Rewind. alive and they started buzzing brilliantly and and they came up out of my hands and they lifted into the air and then they went and they flew off damn so i would say uh now here's what's interesting by the way a hummingbird got caught in my house two months ago and I had a similar experience where my dog tried to eat it. And I finally got the little hummingbird. It was scared. I got it on my finger and I took it out, lifted it up into the The sun was striking it in such a way I could see its gorget, the little thing on its yeah. uh, its neck there. And it was it was so brilliant the way the light was striking it and it flew off. So maybe I'm Carl Young where I can uh, I should have just had that dream two months before that happened with the hummingbird and then I could have like been, but it's just funny how like things in the inner world and the outer world, they kind of weirdly, uh, you know, mirror each other the same way with young and world war one and, and things like that. But I would say that's a whole, that's a whole metaphor for me being happier writing, leaving my phone upstairs, not being on technology, not being under blue light. Like all that stuff is very obvious to me. These two things within me, this Christ and this antichrist, they're coming alive again. I'm taking them and I'm bringing them back out in the natural world. I'm putting them in the sunshine and the air where they're getting oxygenated in and they're, they're coming alive and flying off. So I would say that that's my answer to your question. Is that dream I had? Wow. Max, so what, what do you think? Well, forgive me. I, I sort of forgot what the original question was that he was uh, well, responding we, we to. Were, uh, I could say quickly, we were talking about how in today's state of modernity, you have people who are so hooked to their computer screens yeah. that they don't really relate to the real world anymore. That's pretty yeah. much it. It's a common thing. You know, people always talk about it now uh, on the Internet. Well, I mean, the Internet age, the digital age is 30 years and we've got what's that? It's a drop in the ocean compared to the billions of years that we've been without uh, the digital society that we live in. So when you try to escape billions of years of evolution and try to replace it with technology, there's eventually for all of us going to be that pull, that inner pull, that suppressed element that uh, needs to be reconciled with. And uh, I think your dream is a perfect example of that. It's uh, two birds uh, who are dead inside something that represents modernity quite well and then uh there's a desire within you to try and reconcile with that and yeah uh i don't i think it's something everybody should do <laughs> unfortunately i'm a little bit guilty when it comes to uh not doing that quite often uh because of the nature of what i do i'm constantly online i'm constantly having to play games and do videos on it but you know i try to go outside when i write my scripts and enjoy the sun and uh yeah it's problems you know. for people that are obsessive because i can really follow these things so i've found that it's good to just leave things 
Like I just I can't have any. It's like alcohol with me. I can't have even a taste. I gotta. I can't do it at all. Like I, I, I need my phone on the other side of the house to get stuff. Sure. My my problem is that I need my phone by me so that when I wake up, I immediately write a dream. And I don't know if I told you this, uh, Ben and Max. Oh, but... just do a pen and paper. Um, to you know, here's the thing because I put it into this thing which automatically puts in the date and the time. So I have like an archive of all my dreams sorted by date and time that mm. I've had since 2016. And this wow, like, it's like 200 pages of dreams now that I've accumulated. So that's great. With like digital data, you could do interesting stuff. Like I could compare, and I did this before. What are the words that would keep on uh, coming up the most often? You know, mm -hmm. like an entire archive of like love dreams. I know like one of these are like uh, like cat, for example. I have a lot of cats in my dreams, girl, you know, th things of that nature. And uh, there was a recent dream that I just had. Uh, I was uh, two days ago as well. I was visited by a UFO-like ship which had an array of lights on the front like a vertebrae. So imagine like a UFO with like these kind of like squish donut rings, like one in the front of the other, kind of like its nose in the uh, in the front of it so it landed and inside was an outdoor uh setting i saw what looked like a fake looking utada hikaru i don't know if you guys know who utada hikaru no. is so she wrote the no she she yeah wrote and sang the theme for uh, kingdom hearts which ah. I don't know, max if you uh if you're a fan of kingdom hearts or not I, i've never played it but uh, my wife loves those games and she's always playing the music i was like wait that name sounds very familiar but sorry yeah continue she was well she was known as like the japanese britney spears but i think that's an insult to tada hikaru she's much better than britney spears and she's like the best-selling japanese artist of all time like her album first love like outsold all the japanese albums and she goes she went to new york new york city and japan so she like she lived in both of those places when she was growing up but anyway cool. i i saw a fake looking mutada hikaru who i believe to have been satan as she even had the song and it's true like she has a song called devil inside uh i was going to a house i was residing in in a block with a row of houses uh by my family pointed to the one in which there were uh, a bunch of dudes who were loading furniture. I gave them a tip in the form of these red triangles uh, with surprises inside. And uh, one guy got a surprise in the form of a small piece of green goo. And this other stuff is like private stuff having to do with Lev's past, which I'm not going to get into. So I'll, I'll just tell the second dream, which is I was with Ben Shapiro and we were walking in New York City eastward to Times Square. I wanted to take a picture with him and thought it would be funny if he takes a picture with Elmo or something. But as we walked there, we were now on a bridge in an icy world where a girl was riding on a giant woolly dog. I took pictures of this, but afterwards they were missing uh let's see all this other stuff so can here. i attempt yeah. to interpret this sure okay so uh, on the i think young believes that it's the west that is where consciousness originates because that is dark because to for um to to gain wisdom and for your consciousness to evolve you have to go into the unconscious i believe this is what i believe this is what he said it out i believe so since you're heading east and with someone like shapiro who is really just talking to make gobs of money that's what he's doing yeah i mean not that the man's not intelligent or well-read or whatever but you know that's the man is a corporation and uh you know and god bless you know he's he's fucking he's gutted our dear peterson but whatever so it's, <laughs> so 
the pharmaceutical companies, you know, planted the seeds of uh, of Lucifer and him, and then uh, they got his hooks in him. But regardless, uh, you're since you're heading east with someone like Shapiro, paying attention to anything like that may be uh, incredibly detrimental to your emotional health and your evolving consciousness that you're heading that way. And then I don't know what the big dog thing is that you then find. Well, I think I was heading not to not to poo on your point, but I think I was heading east because I live in the Hell's Kitchen, so I go ah, east well, to go to Times Square. But but the dog, the dog I saw on the left side, so that's west. So I saw this lake, this beautiful lake, kind of like Lake Baikal in Russia or something like that, and it was like an icy lake. And I saw this big woolly dog kind of like, remember Ampa or Appa from Avatar, The Last Airbender? You know, like this mm -hmm. big uh, yeah, yeah. woolly dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I saw this uh, this girl uh, who was riding this dog. And it was like really mythical and all that. So it's very interesting to compare somebody like Benji Shapiro, you know, like very, you know, well put together, you know, says all the right things at the right time. And then just have like this mystical experience that I wanted to point him to. I wanted him to see what was going on. You know, that there's just like this. And you're pointing to the West. too. That's yeah. The anima riding of a, I guess young would describe it as a behemoth, a wingless yeah. serpent. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder what he would say about that. He probably have some really smart thing to say. <laughs> he's, probably probably, so. he's amazing at interpreting dreams. I can't. I don't know how he does it. Wait, Ben Shapiro? No, 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 Young. Oh yes, <laughs> Ben Shapiro. <laughs> you, you yeah, I was to gonna say. Do you try to interpret these dreams or? Uh... Sure. I mean, so, some of them tend to be very understandable as far as what was happening, uh, you know, to me the day before. But then other ones were uh, were a little bit weird. Like, hey, uh, yeah. So, sorry, I love to. I actually have to drop out. Unfortunately, I gotta go uh, turn the barbecue on because I'm making ribs. No problem. Well, this is going to be the end of the stream right now. I just want to say, listen, everybody, write your write your dreams down, people, and then go to the BTR Discord and tell me all about them. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what you gotta do. So go to the Discord right now and. Any final things about Carl Jung and what exactly we've learned? I think we've just scratched the surface of what exactly the Antichrist means and where exactly we're headed there. So before you guys go, plugs and any final interpretations of the Antichrist thing, and we can kind of leave that aside as a cliffhanger for Ben. Uh, I would love to have you back. And Max, I would love sure. to have you back as well. Yeah, man. Anytime. Um, well, in regards to the Antichrist thing, I'll just say what I said on that subject when people have asked me about it. Um, I guess if there is going to be some sort of Antichrist, it's going to take the form of AI. It'll be a consciousness birthed by AI that is sort of like the mirror image of Jesus, I suppose, but does, you know, tries to promote the ethic of um, science uh, and all that, I suppose, is bad about that. Uh, whereas, like materialist science, you mean? Yes, 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 yes. Um, that's my best guess. Who knows if that is, you know, the, <laughs> as it is laid out an eye on if it actually comes true, but if it does, that's my best guess. And then, uh, yeah, if you guys want but i speaking of ion if you guys want a, a condensed breakdown of that entire book feel free to hop over to my channel look up ion jordan peterson's nightmare I have an entire playlist going chapter by chapter uh uh for that book so yeah amongst other things 
Excellent. And by the way, you just gave me an idea, a great idea for a musical. Eye on the Musical, starring Jordan Peterson. It could be like a ballet. <laughs> Jordan Peterson would just be like dancing around. There's like yeah. the Antichrist and Jesus. And, It'd be like uh, Phantom of the Opera, basically, but way more boring. <laughs> Yeah, and the Leviathan would be a giant lobster, kind of yeah. like from Atlantis, Lost Empire. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Ben, yeah. any final, any final okay, words? My thoughts yes. on the end crisis. Perhaps yeah. uh, uh, I'll leave you with this from page 120 from the chapter about the ambivalence of the fish symbol. This split corresponds to the doubling of the shadow often met with in dreams, where the two halves appear as different or even as antagonistic figures. This happens when the conscious ego personality does not contain all the contents and components that it could contain. Part of the personality that remains split off and mixes with the normally unconscious shadow, the two together forming a double and often antagonist personality. Uh, so I would say, you know, is the Antichrist coming or is just the Antichrist within you? Hmm. Good question. Well, I think it's, well, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it seems to be both is true the antichrist uh, is the shadow that's within everybody but specifically for jesus it's his shadow and the problem he right now is off that, of himself that is supposedly yeah yeah and the big problem right now is that the antichrist is coming and the towels of christianity are few and far between we're not going to have enough towels in the form of christianity to cover ourselves up when the antichrist comes so Guys, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate you being here. Make sure to go. You've seen the thing on Patreon. $20 tier reward is going to be a beautiful magnet. It's an exquisite-looking magnet of all these different quality woods that my father, Alexander Polyakov, created. Ben, I don't know if you saw the magnets yet. I didn't. Okay, I will send you the magnets later, and... Uh, you will get a lot of other wonderful Discord privileges. And I'm going to put the Discord link in here as well because I keep talking about Discord. And you guys are like, well, where's the Discord? Well, it's in the description, but it's also going to be posted here. And also, levpo.substack.com. That's one way. Another way is the new domain name, levslens.com. I do not only run Break the Rules. I am also a writer now of Substacks, and the latest article talks about the Dionysian energy of the founding fathers and the Freemasons and all these people, and seeing that as kind of like kind of like relating to what we were talking about with Carl Jung, where it's not even so much of a Christian need as it is this more dynamic need that I think a lot of people who are rejecting a lot of the social justice warrior stuff have today, where. I don't think they like the idea that the only thing that people have to live for are the little symbols and the pronouns that they put in their bio. Life's more than that. You know, life's about creating something, generating something. And I think that's why, like, they're looking back at, like, how exactly do we get to the prosperity that we have now in America? Who are these people going all the way back to a lot of these archetypes that Jung was talking about? How can we imbue these things in our lives? That is what my Substack article is about. And once again, that's levslens.com go there american pride that's the new piece become a subscriber it's free become a subscriber right now and uh, that is pretty much it thank you Yay, very much guys take thank care you, support ben lemon party lemonparty.org is where you go to support ben <laughs> so <laughs> just look at that image that's how you support me
Yes. Just look at that image. You'll get the, you'll get the trifecta. The mandala is going mm -hmm. to be absorbed with the beautiful shining golden lemon. You know. The, by the way, you should watch that Werner Herzog documentary. You would like that about the mandala. It's very interesting. What is the name of the documentary? I think it's just called like mandala or something. It's like from two thousand. It's uh, I I forget. Honestly, they, forget. He should have called it the mandala effect. But anyway. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Take care. Stay blessed. I will uh I will see you next week. It's called Will of Time. It's called Will, Will of Time. Will of Time. Excellent. Mwah. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.